Buongiorno. Here we go. That uh, getting the ha- that that live transition was better than the one that I did yesterday with Jason. Uh, it was there were some bumps in the road getting the live going. This is uh the first two tongues main show that we've done live. So it is. We'll see how it goes. This is an experiment in, in uh, multiple ways. We have uh, um we have a spectator in the studio right now. My buddy Kevin who's not on camera. But I'm just pointing that out for the audience, just in case he, he's so compelled to chime in. And you guys see, you guys remember Mortal Kombat? I do. You remember when you were fighting and you were kicking somebody's ass real good, and all of a sudden someone's head will pop up and say, Toast me! Yeah. Kevin. That's going to be Kevin <laughs> at some point. What uh, is the, I wonder what the uppercut moment will be. It's a good question. We'll see. Stay tuned. So I want to I ask you about this. So Kyle went on a, or excuse me, had a live stream yesterday, which was the first live stream we've done in, on Two Tongues. Mm-hmm. Um, with uh, with a associate from a, another podcast, the Two Bit Podcast, Jason. Yep, from and the Two Bit Podcast. Yep, I got to see like the last like two minutes of that. <laughs> that I, mean, I, I had the link pasted into the you know our text, and I just apparently forgot to hit send. Like I said, I was flustered. I, I was like getting it figured out. So I completely understand that. How prepared? Like how much preparation did you do before you did that? podcast um i got a lot of stuff on melon set up like you know it looks a little bit different yep. um i d- was doing a lot of that stuff before as far as like preparation for the conversation uh i wanted to talk to jason about orthodox christianity and i know that he's a smart guy and well informed on that so I, I, I and i have questions you know so i wasn't really i had like a basic outline of stuff that i wanted to talk about you know what was first of all i want to say god damn it kyle it says it says fat based fat chat on my thing. It's supposed to say my Twitter handle. <laughs> We're both based fat chat. We, got to hit we that. can both be based fat chat, I suppose. Yeah. So what was interesting to me about that whole um, conversation and that um, video you sent me of uh, Harry and uh, uh, David Patrick Harry and Matt Erickson, that guy, yeah, um, is that they were talking about finding their way to Orthodox Christianity, which is some, which is a path that you're on, which blows my mind through politics mm-hmm. and that doesn't even compute to me i don't understand that at all that's kind of how i came into it i, I mean, know yeah. and i don't understand that's what i want to ask you about so he said not harry but the other guy whose name i've forgotten already Matt uh, erickson erickson uh he said that he was um an anarcho-capitalist so were you at some point and i'm pretty sure he mentioned libertarianism pretty sure mm-hmm. maybe not yeah he was active in the libertarian that's right yeah uh, and so that that describes my political awakening. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you get from how do you get from politics to Orthodox Christianity? Help me out. From realizing that the Western liberal tradition is Christianity that replaces Christ with some abstract idea of the individual. Okay, so so what? registers to me there is the um is the well the constitution the the way that the founding fathers described individuals being the what does jordan peterson say the locus of responsibility the locus of uh uh sovereignty and that was another thing i can't remember who said it now but somebody said somebody said that every individual can't be sovereign because that because that um flies in the face of what sovereignty means and there's so much about like my immediate response to that that recoils from that because because I do think that peace and prosperity are are best achieved when people 
consider the individual to be the locus of responsibility and action in the world, not the collective. We, we've talked about this before. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think that we're made in the image of God, which an Orthodox person would agree with. I do think that that makes us sacred as individuals. And we have a responsibility to protect, you know, individual liberty and freedom for that reason. Mm. You might say also to, as a buffer against totalitarianism, but, but I think you don't step on my toes because I'm sacred. I'm, my soul is sacred and so is yours. So if you have, and I, this doesn't even apply to Orthodox Christianity, this applies to like any idea, you know, like framework for idea, like an idea to like base your life around any kind of code. Um, if you have a code and you truly believe that living by that code, you know, will make your life better and the world better. Um, you know, I, 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 try, I, I don't want to be too draconian with things, but I do think that giving people incentives to abide by that code is good. Um, and I think that if you, Like, I, I feel like we've gotten to a point where they are encouraging people to live outside of that code. I would agree with that. Yeah. And that's what I have a problem with. That's what I would like to dial back in the world. Um, you know, I think that people hear that sort of thing and they think, mm. you know, um, complete terror. Um, and that's not really what I'm looking for. And if you, Read the Bible. I, I don't think that that's what Jesus was advocating for, you know? So let me let me step in and try to say this in my own words. You tell me if I'm getting this right. <clears throat> so there's one, one way of looking at the individual as the locus of responsibility and action like I was talking about. But, we, but there's another way of looking at the individual saying that if the individual is the only important thing or the most important thing, then they make their own rules and their own values and nobody can say differently because everyone's their own individual. And I see that as a problem. I can see that as a problem because to your point, you have uh, rules, social etiquette, laws, things like that, that are supposed to apply to everyone. And if you say the laws don't apply to me because I'm my own individual and, you know, I, uh, you know, morality is, a, is, you know, subjective and blah, 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 blah. Um, then that, that's a recipe for disaster, really. That, that's, that's, going to be decohesive to society and uh you, you know you end up with a bunch of people like we saw with the during the riots mm -hmm. you know so i just fucking morally justifiable in fact morally admirable because yeah. i'm stealing a television yeah you know yeah i agree with you it's uh i mean i don't know i really don't know what else to say about so, that you well uh, if, if you, i if i'm on the right track then if i'm if i'm yeah. starting to pick it up then so is the idea then that if the govern if the authority of the government is is can be dismissed or undermined because it's not let's say the law of god which you know you wouldn't be able to trespass against is that the is that the benefit of an orthodox perspective is that all of these religious rules because they come from god apply to everyone you know regardless of you know regardless of the situation and you can't step on those rules the way that you might like what's happening with the, with the laws in this country, people are able to avoid, uh, you know, obeying the laws and they're not punished. In fact, they're praised for it. That you can't have that situation if the laws, the law of God, is it something like that? Something like that. Um, there's one thing that I took from Thaddeus Russell. Uh, he talked about, we, we turn your mic towards you a little bit. Sorry. Yeah. yeah like that. So 
fucking just don't want to move it That's because right. of the cameras. Yeah. Um, what was I say? Oh, Thaddeus Russell. Yeah. He uh, he talked about living in a monarchy. One of the advantages of that, like people just have immediately they're like oh a king that's uh, that's a terrible idea yep but especially back in the day when there was like basically one guy in power i mean you know i know he's got people who work for him subordinates and whatever the king does have people but, yeah. <laughs> but um the, he called it living in the shade it's like it, as long as you're not like out there boastfully you know uh putting it out there for the world to see like nobody really cares you know mm -hmm. and i think that there's definitely some truth in that it's like you think about like a pride parade we've mm. talked about this before yep i don't think it's appropriate for dudes to be you know butt fucking each other on the street you know i don't think that that's good you know um it's there are kids at those parades even if there's not kids at those parades it's it's common decency i don't think it's good for a guy to be having sex with a woman in public i don't you know it's not about it being gay except for at mardi gras then it's fine no, if there's bead really. necklaces though that then it's fine i'm pretty sure those are the rules of those america are the rules. yeah oh those are the rules of america yep. i just don't don't really like the rules of america okay. yeah um you know i just i think that we we glorify all like the weirdest things you know um I, i'm not a not a fan of just like the blatant sexuality in in society the sexualizing of kids it's all fucking weird it's fucking weird listen this is probably an inappropriate thing to insert in this conversation and it's probably an inappropriate thing to uh to bring up because of the cultural changes that have happened since this but i'm reminded when you talk about pride praise i'm reminded of uh eddie murphy stand-up from back in the day i don't remember if it was raw or delirious but do you remember this scene which which color was the leather suit he was wearing i think it was red it was red. Okay, so I think that was raw. I think it was raw. Okay, so so do you remember he said that he made jokes about homosexuals, and uh, he said that the, the gay community was very upset with him, yeah. and he said that he has to go to San Francisco for uh, a show, and he says he shows up at the airport, and there's like extra security for, for him, and it's like he was really, he was like, there was really uh, danger involved because he people were mad he made these gay jokes, and that was in the 80s. Yeah. But the, but the, the, um, punchline basically is uh eddie murphy's riding in his car to the venue and he says suddenly he hears sirens behind him and he's he, he feels like he's going to get pulled over and uh the gays are the gays are you know coming for him and he said then he he turns around and looks at the sirens and all it is is a all it is is a gay guy with his shirt off hanging out of the back of the car going <laughs> woo, woo, woo. you remember that i do vaguely i remember the uh the gay material but i don't specifically remember that joke I remember he was uh, he was walking up uh, uh, across the stage and he kept turning his butt away from the, from oh, the audience. Like, Don't look at my butt. Yeah. Uh, Eddie Murphy had a terrific butt back then, by the way. Eddie Murphy was so fucking funny, man. Yeah. Um, I wonder if it holds up. I mean, raw raw question. raw holds up, but I I know we're getting off topic, but I wonder if like if like the, some of the early movies like uh, Beverly Hills Cop, if if we watched them today, if they would hold up. I wonder if that whole buddy cop, white cop, black cop thing would hold up. Yeah. It might I, even be better today because of all the racial tensions, you know? That would be an interesting movie to watch to see the kind of humor they did. Because it could be good. It could be very funny. Or it could be just like the least funny thing you've ever seen. Uh, in Hollywood, Hollywood, listen to me. Do not remake that movie. Please, God, do not. But if you do. 
make Eddie's Murphy characters, make Eddie's Eddie Murphy's character white and the other character black. Reverse the roles like you like you're doing, and then it, it'll it's be a, it'll be a hit on Netflix. I guarantee it. What were we talking about before that? Uh, Orthodox Christianity and the government. That's what it was. It was how, how, how do you tie those two together? How is it that you're changing political opinions? are connected to changing religious opinions. That's what I'd like to know. Wait a minute. Can you say that again? All right. So for the audience's sake, Kyle was an anarcho-capitalist when we started this podcast three years ago. Yeah. And, you know, pretty staunch with some core libertarian principles like individual liberty and small government. I I believe that. that And I still believe this, that as far as the libertarian ideology goes, anarcho-capitalism is the truest form of libertarian ideology. Like, I, don't, I don't disagree. I don't disagree. We've had this conversation before a couple of years ago, but what I what what concerns me about that is the idea of of no government um, and no like legal enforcement from like a federal authority. I'm afraid that things would fall to pieces yeah, immediately. I completely because, agree with you now. Um, back then, you know, I was uh, all on board that train, but a lot of COVID, a lot of the riots, nah, it, it, like, you say you were more optimistic about like, did you, were you naive? Did you think more people were like, you thought like you, and that if the government went away, people would have to just be more responsible. And I do, I think that I thought, and I still do think that there's like a lot of valuable stuff in libertarianism and, you know anarcho-capitalism um i do think that like the idea of breaking things down to smaller levels of government is good um you know i a lot of that stuff i still find valuable so i i do think that in that situation there would be areas that probably could get it together you know oh yeah um but i think that a lot of the cohesion in the world would be gone you know like um yeah. Between New York and Chicago, you know, maybe some areas could get that together, but would they be able to travel through those areas to trade with each other, yeah. things like that? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, there are some people that would rise to the occasion, and there are some people that wouldn't, and those people would be a cancer to the system. And I've said this before, but it's like if you have people who adopt that that survival strategy, which is the parasite strategy, you're always going to have some of them. Some of them will rise to the occasion. Some of them will be like, hey, 90% of the people are doing it. I'm going to figure out a way yep. to to get a free lunch. And those people are the equivalent of a cancerous fucking tumor in a in a in a in a biological system. You know? Yep. A little bit isn't going to kill you. But you let that shit go unchecked long enough, you are gonzo, man. Go to the doctor. Go to the doctor, people. Hey man, speaking to the doctor. I told you this is a weird thing to talk about on the podcast. I told you um, a couple of months ago that I had uh, some pain in my testicle. One of them? One of them yeah. in particular. Uh, anyway, it freaked me out, but it went away. So I was just like, oh, thank God. I don't have to go to the doctor. I'm fine. But just every now and then, just be a little achy, man. That same that same testicle. Yeah. So I just, I'm a little worried about it. So I'm saying it out loud. Go to the doctor. Ah, I hate the doctor so much. If it really worries you, though. I, you know, you get aching in them from time to time. You know, it happens. I make all, I I make all kinds bad. of excuses to myself. I even told my wife the other day, I said, you know, like you get older and your, and your exactly. testicles will hang, they hang more than they used to. <laughs> yeah. And I just imagine there's a lot more movement. There's a lot more, there's a lot more, uh, 
tugging, you know, just from gravity and all that. Um, or, you know, God forbid you sit on them, you know? Yeah. You ever scoot, like scoot across to something and next thing you know, you're sitting on your own balls? Not really, man. I wear good underwear. You know, like True. I'm not like hanging all over the place. Mm. Got a, the, got a, I got a good balls ear. What is that from? Balls ear? Yeah, it's like Brazier. Oh, yeah, it's yeah, from, yeah. Some, it's from some show. I the can't balls remember. ear. Kevin, what's it from? No idea. He doesn't know. All right. All right. So, um, so anyway, while you were an anarcho capitalist, you're you were more sympathetic to atheism. You know, you were you were at, Yeah. Um, you, you were starting to come out of it, but you were more sympathetic to it than you are today. Oh, for sure. So um, there's a connection between your religious opinions changing and your and your political opinions changing. And I'm trying still trying to understand that. Yeah, I don't I I, I don't think that I understand it that well yet, you know. Um I guess it's just that I have standards uh for lack of a better word that i would like that if i'm going to be part of a society that i would like for that society to meet those standards um i'm not saying that everyone in the world has to abide by my standards but i am saying that everyone in my society i would like them to abide by those standards so um, are those standards something that you identified over the course of your life you you know like yeah you, naturally you decided yeah there these were, are the things there were points in my life where i didn't even i think uh you know when i was younger i was much more liberal but you know when i first came into libertarianism i kind of came into it because it's like you know leave people alone man they can do whatever they want man and now it's like yeah i think a lot of the time you should leave people alone but if I come over to your house and you're about to shoot up heroin. I'm going to smack you in the face and I'm not going to let you do it. Mm. You know, that's like, if I love, you know, I'm going to do the most that I can yeah. to prevent the people I love from hurting themselves. Yeah. Uh, eventually you can't do anything. It, it's funny. Cause you know what strikes me when you say that immediately, I'm like, bitch, let that person do heroin in their own house. Wow. It's their own house. But then as soon as you said someone I love, then I'm picturing myself with the needle and I'm thinking, smack me, dude. Exactly. So, so I kind of, but so love is the diff is the distinction to me. It's like, if it's a stranger, I don't feel the same compulsion. I don't know. I don't feel it as strongly, but I don't want strangers to like kill them. You know, like let's say, I don't know. I'm trying to think of something that is maybe a better comparison than heroin, but I don't know. We can just stick with it. Um, no, I, I don't want strangers to be doing like all these people who are dying of fentanyl overdoses. That's not good. I don't want that sucks. That's terrible for their families. It's terrible for them. Yeah. You know, but what about see, but see, I just see big brother looming in that, in that, uh, in a feeling, you know, and I'm, so I'm conflicted. Um, so you remember when I asked you, we we're talking about good and evil. And I said, if somebody isn't given the opportunity to overcome temptation, then overcoming it isn't valuable. So what I mean is, if we if we went around and got all the heroin up and we just flushed it down the the collective toilet, it's a big ass toilet, then all of the people on fentanyl and heroin, all the people struggling with addiction in that way, do not have the opportunity to overcome that challenge or slay that particular dragon, like Jordan Peterson might say. There's and other so dragons, the, the, dude. Yeah, but the fact that they're clean and sober isn't by their choice, and that undermines the value of it to me in some way. I understand the greater good argument, but I fucking I'm like I'm real eerie about that because it just sounds like big brother. Do you brother. think we should legalize heroin? I, I haven't 
thought it through in detail, but I'm one of those people that thinks uh, that drugs should be legal, period, full stop. Yeah, I disagree on that one. You know, I think that they should be regulated some things that taxed. are illegal now should be illegal, but other things, no, nah, I don't I don't really have a problem with them being, you know. I think I think prostitution should be legal. I don't. I think drugs should be legal. Um because those things are unique because they're transactional, you know? So I go back to this free market idea, I go back to this individual liberty idea, and I think I don't want a person who's hard up a girl who's hard up or naive or dumb or something like that to get wrapped up in a situation where they're selling their bodies and they're going to have, you know, let's say psychological trauma in the or a health problem, whatever. I completely understand that's terrible. I, do, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. But if you're somebody who's an adult, who's in your right mind, who's decided that the risks are worth it and this is the best op opportunity opportunity for me i'm gonna i'm gonna t take some pipe from a stranger and get a big and get a big paycheck and it's gonna be filmed it's like okay okay we so we've gone from regular prostitution to like porn is I just, what we're talking just about? trying to make it as bad as possible as an example okay um you know so it's like not just transactional but other people are gonna watch it and she's gonna get paid for that too let's say so um go ahead you know it you can see how that might be a lucrative thing and if she's if she's in her right mind and an adult and entering into it voluntarily saying no to her. I, I don't, I cannot bring myself to agree that I should prevent her from doing that. Okay. Or him, if it could be, it could be a gigolo. So uh, again, I, that is fine with me that you feel that way. <laughs> um, you don't have to be a part of the society <laughs> that I'm building. Yeah. You know, like uh, that is legitimately how I feel about it. I don't want to force everyone to to think the way that I think. But what I want is to not have the society that I'm living in actively subverting the things that I believe. Yeah. And that's what's going on. But <clears throat> excuse me. How do you control that when people's minds change or when new people are born into the community like every youth every youthful generation who doesn't agree with their parents? In fact, Specifically disagrees with everything their parents value. I think that a lot of that. going to kick them out of the community? Yes. <laughs> I mean, okay. I think that a lot of that would be not as big an issue without all of the constant propaganda that comes from everywhere. Um, and also a great deal more social pressure to conform in a community like that. Sure. Because if you if you don't follow the rules, you, you don't get to be part of the community. Yeah, and, and, you know, I say that, yes, you would kick people out, but you don't even have a problem with that. You have, you know, positively talked about similar systems. Yes, but we're talking about children and parents being separated. And I'm like, you know, what, what are you going to do? I, I mean, how old is a kid going to be when they decide that they're going to do that? Well, how old were you when you fucking I was like 15. 15 up to when? 25, maybe? So you know? what, what is the what is the significance of that? Well, my, my, I mean, if you want to keep adults in the community at 25, they're adults, but they're still naive. They're still fucking dumb as a box of hammers. You, you know, you, they're going to want to make mistakes. They're going to have that messianic complex where they think they can change the world for the better. And they're going to be short sighted. You're going to say, you know, you guys can't be a part of this community until you grow up and you can come back. You know, it's like. You got to separate kids from parents. It happens all the time. I mean, <laughs> but the fact that it happens, it's like as a parent, I would agree with you that that you got certain fundamental values that you want to maintain. And it seems like the best 
the best likelihood of maintaining them so, is to not allow um, subversive components in there. I 100% agree. But when the subversive components are your kids. Well, I don't I just don't understand like what the. Like, what would the scenario be where. That it comes to that excommunication in my mind, it's got to be like pretty. Like what what if you had like a, a small community and um, maybe the kids in the community represent the kids between the ages of 18 and 25, they represent like a quarter of the population and they get to the age where they want to be politically active in the community. And suddenly you have a quarter of the population that are communists because they're kids and they think private property is a sham and we should all you know share and whatever. They have all those ideas. Then a quarter of the population on the on the committee wants to undermine in the worst possible way everything you stand for. What do you do? Um, I don't know. Like I said, I think that uh, in a society where you're not your ideas are not constantly being subverted, you would not have as much of that. Could be. Um, I think, I'm thinking about Amish people right now. Like, you know, those those kids are allowed to go out, rumspringer, mm-hmm. and then they come back and they have to obey the rules, and uh, they seem to be pretty cohesive. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> they they don't really recruit, you know. Yeah. Um, but that's exactly. I, I I wonder if you can become Amish, you know, like I, you probably can, but I just don't think they make it very easy on you. Listen, this is going to be a sober October challenge for Burt Kreischer and uh, what's his name? What's the other one? Tom Segura. Tom Segura. Infiltrate the Amish. <laughs> Shave off your mustache. Infiltrate the Amish for the whole month of October. That's what we want to see. That would that would definitely be interesting. That would be uh, I, I wouldn't mind trying to infiltrate the Amish. Make like a a vacation. Well, not a vacation. I don't know. Listen, I I told you, and I told you on the podcast that I used to have these like romantic sort of fantasies about right around graduation time from high school. That I like. Some people wanted to like join the military. You know, boys like I want to join the military. Fucking Kevin over here. I want to join the military. But I thought to myself, I like to go work on an Amish farm. I like to just go ask, like, hey, will you put me up? Just just so I can live and experience this way of life and I'll work really hard for you. And that'll be the payment for this. Can I just hang out for a month and like work on the farm just to see if I could do it, you know, yeah, just see what it would be like. I definitely get that. I would like to, to, yeah, do the same kind of thing, even to this day, you know? Um, but to go back to what we were talking about, um, I don't know. I, I had something to say, but I, I lost it Shit. in your farm talk. I'm sorry. Man. No, 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 it's okay. It happens. I get real chatty. It happens to the best of us. Um, government. We're talking about the government. Um, orthodoxy in the Man, government. I, I wasn't anywhere near orthodoxy. Oh. Um, oh. So have you heard the saying? It's it's somebody's like third law of politics. I don't. I can't remember the guy's name. Uh, but it's any organization that is not explicitly right wing will become left wing. Yep. And that is like kind of the guiding principle of this. It's like, don't let people who are going to subvert your core beliefs into your community. Yep. Uh, I'm not saying, you know, go communist style and put them up against the wall, but don't, don't let them in. You know, I, I, that to me seems like common sense. Yeah. I mean, I can, I can get behind that. I don't think that there's anything that strikes me as objectionable about having a community that's I don't want to say private, but you should be able to have a private community. 
um, and you guys in the community get to make the, the rules. So as you were talking, I was thinking about what um, like the propaganda was like when we were growing up. And I suppose that's the right word to use, how we were taught to be proud of, of America and what America had accomplished and America's position in the world and what America represents, land of the free, home of the brave, all that kind of, all that kind of stuff. And we felt this is why when I was 18 years old, I was during 9-11, let's say, where I was thinking to myself, let's be a Marine. Fucking Kevin over here. Let's be a Marine. Um, and uh, excuse me. And I could justify that. I could justify risking my life. I could justify, uh, you know, whatever pain and suffering it would have taken because I was because I valued the country. And what we've seen since we were kids is a slow trickle of um, wearing that down, wearing mm -hmm. down that respect. Now it's so bad that we you can't even say I'm proud to be an American in certain in certain contexts without getting scoffed at, without getting, you know, maybe even assaulted, you know, in certain, in certain parts of the country. Um, and so seeing how different it is today from when we were kids makes me kind of understand your point about if you had a community where you were reinforcing those values strongly and you didn't have so much exposure to counter narratives that, you know, kids would not only learn to appreciate those values the same way that you do, because that's how, how it was for us growing up. Um, you know, I, Go ahead. I kind of think that since, you know, the enlightenment, since, um, you know, the birth of liberalism, uh, that I, I almost think that the point of it has been to erode that, that erode the passing of tradition from generation mm -hmm. to generation. And it's been extremely effective. Yeah. Um, you know, whether they were doing it on purpose or not, they couldn't have done a better job. So what, what comes to my mind is a, is a Jordan Petersonism. So I want to say it. Uh, he calls culture the wisdom of our ancestors, the wisdom, mm -hmm. the wisdom of our fathers. And that's something that, like, for most of human history was the most valuable thing for us. The wisdom of our fathers, the wisdom of our ancestors are the, the hard-won lessons like you can imagine if you go back to the beginning of time and uh, human beings were trying to figure out what they could eat and what would poison them. Somebody had to die to figure that out. So mm -hmm. the wisdom of your ancestors is something as basic as what can we eat and what can we not? But it's also how should we govern ourselves? It's also, you know, how should we punish dissidents or what kind of what, you know, there's all kinds of things that were hard won over long stretches of time and people suffered and died for those lessons. And so conservatives in general want to maintain the wisdom of our ancestors. And because that's attached so much to tribal people and nature worshiping religions, it's hard for me to understand how liberals can't see that better because these are the environmentalists. These are the fucking, you know, animists of our day. Uh, why is it that they can't see that that order and culture and tradition is valuable? Um, and I think part of that is that the liberal tendency is – uh, for newness, for novelty, for a, a better way, you know, let's let's reinvent something, let's improve the technology, let's yeah. start start over, and you know, do it better this time. I agree with you, um, but I also think that a lot of times people try to, and I'm going to go specifically with Christianity on this. People try to make it seem like Christians are not the innovators, you know, like it's the 
it's everyone else. Mm -hmm. It's the atheists. It's the materialists. They're all like living in reality. They're the ones moving things forward. But if you go back in history, that's not the truth. Everyone who pushed society forward was a Christian. I mean, not everyone, but tons of them. Isaac Newton, Christian. I mean, just like a a huge list of people, Christians. Um, So. Richard the Lionheart, Christian. Christian. Absolutely. Killed all kinds of. Spreading the word of the Lord. Yep. Spreading the word of the Lord. One one Arab life at a time. I'm not for that. my, My past political inclination to be like anti-offensive war i think that's completely supported by christianity that's an interesting one because i still have i still have carryovers from my libertarian philosophical place that particularly uh disdains offensive war and it go it goes back to like my Ron Paul sympathies. It goes back to my non-interventionist sympathies, which, by the way, was something I had on the list to talk about in case Kevin wanted to get involved because he has a military background. But um, what was I saying? Uh, non-interventionism. Yes, Ron yes. Paul. It has to do with um, well, most of the history of our country was non-interventionist. I mean, we've, we don't get me wrong. We've had war after war after war. I understand that. I'm not, you know, naive in that way, but we haven't been eager to get involved, especially in Asia and in Europe. We haven't been eager to get involved, even in the second world war, in the first world war, we waited a very long time to get involved. You know, we would much rather just trade with each other and mutually benefit from it than getting like embroiled in like conflicts that we have nothing to do with yeah and there's still a lot of people that would say that today like what are we doing over there it's been a different world since the world wars we've been a lot more willing to you know extend our power for reasons like i don't know i don't really know what the fuck that has to do with us well this is this idea of um uh what do they call that they call that uh it's not sphere of influence it's um uh shit ah Sometimes I can't what find words. What is it words, describing? God. I don't, I don't. And I've lost it. Okay. Don't put me on the spot. I'm embarrassed. <laughs> um, I just wrote down spheres of influence and it really got, it really fucked me up. Um, <clears throat> sorry, start over. In non-interventionalism. So, <clears throat> damn it, excuse me. So we're spending so much money to have influence in different parts of the world. Lots of money. Tons. That's the part that I, I, I have a hard time justifying. Like if we're spending trillions of dollars to have military bases in Germany and Korea and the islands in the Pacific and you know Cuba, for Christ's sake, it's like Cuba. what might we have been able to accomplish if instead we bolstered up our, our, our defenses in this country by 25% and spent the rest of that money on whatever else we might need, you yeah. know, fixing Social Security, for Christ's sake. Yeah. You know? For sure. And to tie it, to kind of tie it back into the religious aspect of it, we've talked about this before. The reason America has all these bases all around the world is to export our current religion, which is liberal democracy. And, yeah, and that's part of the propaganda that we learned growing up. We learned that even. It's like if we spread liberal democracy to backwards parts of the world, they will improve. They will adopt capitalism. They will become more wealthy. The crime levels will go down. The they, hunger levels will go down. Then they can all be addicted to porn and you know de- antidepressants and fast 
food and life's going to be great for him. You know, those are, those are excellent points, man. Uh, those are ex- unintended of shit. Don't ever. Um, what would the world be like if it wasn't just the, if it wasn't just the um, first world nations that were so prosperous that we were deeply depressed, deeply anxious, yeah. and, you know, addicted to not reproducing anymore, not reproducing. Although I did see an article that said the average penis is getting getting longer. Did you see this article? I did see that. Like I missed the fucking generational that, boat, dude. man. Yeah. Where was I? Where was I when I, dicks see, were getting yeah. bigger? I I include myself in that study. So yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I guess if you count gravity, I'm 25 percent bigger. If you, right. if you count the effects of gravity, yeah. <laughs> that's what one of the reasons I really got got to get rid of these man boobs before it, it gets too late. Keto baby. I've been good, man. I've been yeah. uh, I've been trying to get back on the health healthy wagon. Me too. I feel, mo- I just feel like motivated and um, like ready to go. You know what I'm saying? Mm. I love that feeling because I know what you mean. That sort of inspiration mm-hmm. where you feel like uh, you're actually self motivated. You're driven by something that you want so much. You're actually you know willing to do whatever it, it needs to be done, and you're kind of excited about it. And it lasts longer than a couple of hours. That's a brilliant brilliant feeling. Um, is that tied into this, uh, religious exploration you're doing? Yeah, I think so. Um, the the health consciousness and the spiritual health consciousness. Yeah, I think so. Um, well, I don't know. The health is just kind of, I'm getting old, you know, like I gotta start being better about some things or, you know, if I get lucky, I might live long, but I also might not, you know? So I, I'm just very aware of that. So I just am trying to be better about it. I'm getting more aware of that myself. Yeah. I started, you know, people said like, um, like when you reach 40, how much more difficult it is to lose weight or how much more difficult it is to get in shape, you know? And uh, I've been off the wagon, like lifting weights and trying to exercise for a while. And I've been trying to get into that. And dude, I am wrecked. My upper body right now is wrecked. My daughter, she wanted to sit on my lap and she put her head, her head rested her head against my chest. And I was just like, wrecked. <clears throat> and it takes, it's like worse than it was when I was a younger man. Right. And it, it, I have to suffer through that until I, until my body gets used to it. And this is this soreness and this like weakness isn't going to go away until I, until I struggle through that. So I just trying to be disciplined about it and, uh, not let myself say no. I even, uh, I even took a walk on the treadmill, not a run because my, my legs were a little fucked, but I took a walk on the treadmill on a day I wouldn't ordinarily because otherwise I'm sitting on the, in, in this chair, you know, like I'm sedentary all the time. And I'm just like, no, you know, you got, you got some time, just get, you know, and I'm going to put a podcast in and do a little exercise. So I'm trying. Yeah. I just hope it doesn't slip because it can slip so easily. It does slip easy, man. Um, one benefit that I have uh, that you don't is that my job requires me to be up and moving and mm-hmm. lifting heavy ass pieces of metal and yep. shit like that. So I, I think I, I don't have as much of a problem with that, but I still need to be doing more, you know, for sure. I need to be doing more. I especially feel like maybe I should start, I've never been a big fan of it, but maybe I should start doing some like cardio, you know? Yep. I would just say that at our age, um, like knees and ankles and stuff, yeah. that, that really starts to become a problem. Oh yeah. So I, I would, my knee, my I think it's my left knee is a problem. Like it just yeah. starts hurting for no reason. Uh, yeah. Like I can't trace any particular event. It's not like I tripped and twisted it yeah. or something, but yeah. well, ease, just I'll wake up and it hurts. Ease into it. Yeah. Do you, do you find that those things happen more when you're eating 
carbohydrates? Like, has it been better since you've been since you've been on keto? So it's not like it's like an every other week thing. It's like maybe every three months. So it's hard to tell because uh, I'm not uh, that consistent with keto. At least I haven't been. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. So I can't really tell. Um, I think a big thing for me is staying well hydrated. I noticed yeah. that a lot of things start going wrong when I'm not well hydrated. Yep. Yep. The water champ. Because I'm trying to make sure that I have to pee real bad by the time we're done. Yep. Uh, I, I didn't go before, so it might be a problem, but we're getting, we're, yeah, we're, we're chugging along. We now. are. We're wasting too much time. We've got lots of stuff to get to. I want to ask you when you were, uh, when you had, um, what's the guy from two bits name? Jason. When you had Jason on and you were talking to him, I just caught the very end and it was mostly him talking, not a whole lot of you. What did you ask him? What, what was the, like the, well, I don't know. What was your favorite part of that conversation? I asked him about his, you know, how he came into orthodoxy. Um, and I asked him, I did get a little bit into theosis and stuff at the oh. very end. Did you? you no, I missed the, that. No? I missed that part. Yeah. Um, yeah, but ma mainly it was him talking about his path to orthodoxy and me talking about my, um, the path that I'm on into it right now. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just listening to how, you know, his story of the things that brought, he was actually, his, uh, he was, in it from early, you know, not like really in it, but he was associated with it from an early age. Okay. So it was like a natural thing for him to go into, yeah, not for which you, is man. not the case with a lot of people. Yeah. A lot of people that I talk about who are in Orthodox Christianity, you know, they came to it th through some weird circuitous route. Like David Patrick Harry talked about, yeah. you know, he was like researching psychedelics and, you know, tripped across something about Orthodox Christianity. He was like, oh, I, I need to study that. Yeah. So and that brought him into it. So I need to also study it. I'm intrigued, well, partly because I had an experience at Catholic Church, which showed me what Christian service could be like versus mm -hmm. what I was accustomed to growing up. You got to go to an Orthodox liturgy, man. I do, yeah. I also started learning some shit about Buddhism that was recently, that was kind of off-putting. Buddhism and Christianity, if I'm being honest, they're two areas that I haven't explored as much as I probably should have. And I love the story of Buddha. I'll, I'll I'll tell that story on the podcast regularly. I think Buddhism is an interesting uh, an interesting religion. Um, but then I somebody on Twitter that I talk to some sometimes, um, Joe, told me that he he was a Buddhist and that he was something called a Pure Land Buddhist. And I said, that's interesting. What, the fuck what is does a that pure mean? Land Buddhist? Right. Do you, so do you know like Buddhism has um. Buddhism has branches just like Islam yeah. has branches and Christianity has branches. You know, you've heard of Zen Buddhism, uh, Mahayana Buddhism, that kind of thing. I don't know what the distinction is. I don't know enough about it. Yeah. So I, this guy's telling me that Pure Land Buddhism is one of the most common and it's the, like one of the largest branches. And then he describes to me that what, what makes the distinction, what makes Pure Land Buddhism Pure Land Buddhism is that they believe that in a state of meditation, you can reach a pure, a pure land. And there are more than one. It's not like there's just one option somehow. And so you basically can imagine like an out-of-body sort of experience where you can meditate to a point where you get to a state of mind where you're no longer on the earth. You're somewhere else. And in the somewhere else, you can encounter uh, Buddhas or Bodhisattvas or whatever. And they they can teach you how to become a Buddha. And what makes it what makes it important is that in the pure lands, you don't have any of the uh, – pain or suffering that you have on on the earth mm -hmm. so it's easier for you in the pure land to understand the B buddhist teachings and to reach enlightenment 
and then there's Nirvana above above and beyond that. So even the way I'm describing it to you, I've I've already been told is wrong that it's not it, that's not exactly the way they look at it. But I had never heard of this before, pure lands, and I and I was oh, I was asking, what's the theological support for it? How do Buddhists believe that there are pure lands? Where does it come from? Is it a revelation somebody had? Did somebody go to the pure lands and come back and talk about it? How do we know there's more more than one pure land? Is this like a different dimension? Is this like a higher realm of a being, a state of mind? What is this? And anyway, anytime that I encounter something like that, that seems to me dogmatic, like, okay, somebody had an experience. And as a result of that, there's this, all these stories that have that have developed about some kind of like intermediary supernatural place that Buddhists can reach through meditation. And not only that, there's more than one of them. They have different qualities and different Buddhas live on them. And I'm like, immediately I start to think, this sounds like fucking Scientology. This, this, this doesn't, this sounds, it just doesn't sound Buddhist to me. Like I'm not a Buddhist. I don't know, but it doesn't sound right. When I think about the story of Buddha, and then I hear this story about some kind of like halfway house heavens that are available to us that somehow Buddhists live on. What are these other, are these other planets? Are these sort of intermediary reincarnation stop stopovers where somebody who's reached uh, Buddhahood can exist on the pure lands? Like I don't understand it. So the caveats that you're giving for the Buddhism, let me say that I don't understand this either. This is a part of Orthodox Christianity and a, a lot of the theology, I don't know yet. You yeah. know, I'm, I'm happy. I'm excited to get into it, but I don't know it yet. Um, but they have something and it see, I, I, maybe it's completely non-analogous and I'm just completely fucking this up, but um they have something called toll houses that is like some kind of stop between heavens, you know, uh, between you dying and going to heaven, yep. you know, whatever that is. Um, is the, is the point of the toll house, uh, is it a way of like pur purifying your spirit? Maybe as some you kind of, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. Okay. But you know, cause that's how, that's how the Buddhists explain this by the way, in a very similar way. Like you're like you're, uh, it's, it's it's described as an easy way to, to an easier way to enlightenment, so that you can purify your mind, and that will make it easier for you to reach nirvana or something. It's just weird, man. It's like you know the same thing with Catholics. Talk about purgatory, purgatory, limbo. You know, I've got a, a got paradise lost up here. It, the so, fact that it's in all of the, the all of those things have some version of that. Does that like? Does that like make you wonder? In a way, I'll tell you what it, the mystical thing that comes to my mind, it's, it's like this. If somebody tells you that they've seen supernatural things above and beyond the ordinary and that they can tell you details about how the soul is composed, like the ancient Egyptians believe there were different parts of the soul, the ka, the ba, all this stuff. Um, if somebody tells you that they can describe to you that level of detail about how the soul is constructed, or they can tell you how the heavens are constructed, there's different there's different levels of hell. Like I have divine the Divine Comedy over there on the bookshelf, or or Paradise Lost by John Milton, that they talk about um, how heaven and hell are constructed. You know, somebody who can tell you that level of detail is either some kind of a saint or full of shit. Yeah, and I lean towards the full of shit part. However, however. I've seen mystical things like the Kabbalah, as an example, this whole idea of the tree of life and the Zephyrs and all the Sephirah and all this stuff. And it's like, it's like 
it relates to things like alchemy and things that are very like mystical and mysterious where people people will literally come up with these detailed models of spiritual realities and i think that's interesting but i'm very skeptical of it man like i it, like if i go back to psychedelic experience and i think about images and things that that come about in psychedelic experience i might bring those back into my waking life and elucidate them and try to write write everything down that i remembered and uh and create this something that looks like the kabbalah like the tree of life in the kabbalah i could do so i can imagine doing something like that what i can't imagine is understanding it well enough to understand what it means or to tell anybody else what it means okay i understand that i also think that if you dedicated your life to you know, understanding, you know, if there's already some kind of like framework, like scripture or things like that, to, to really be in that and studying it and um, doing whatever kind of ritual or drug that you need to, to induce that, uh, what I would call a revelatory experience. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's revealed to you. Sure. Yeah. So it's, it's possible, I suppose, but I, I feel like the more you try to elucidate those things to make them um, to make them cohesive and understandable to somebody, the more you are putting your own order into something that is chaos. You are you are constraining the truth to make it something that's entirely of your invention. And I do that all the time, and I still think it's useful to do that. So I'm a little bit talking out of both sides of my mouth here, um, but it's just like what the Taoists say. The, the Tao that can be spoken of is not the real Tao. So mm. if I have an experience and I try to make sense of it and explain it to you, I'm telling you falsehood. Like the truth is the experience and only the experience. Any representation, if I try to tell you or write a picture, any representation of it is false. It might be like a, 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 you know, a shadow of the truth, but it's false. Okay. Does that make it not valuable? I don't think so. I think it is valuable. Because, uh, I mean, I basically agree with you. Even as specific as some things are, and I mean, I'm specifically talking about the Christian elements, uh, even as specific as they are, it's if it is real, you know, it, it it's probably just some kind of like a vague shadow of what it actually is, yeah. you know? Yeah. It's like describing to someone an acid trip, you know? It's like, yeah. uh, you know, when I went to see uh, – camp green sky festival and i was tripping on acid watching a band play and just like the leaves on the trees are like fuck yeah yeah i can't i mean <laughs> you you have some idea of what i'm talking about but you will never be there you will never experience that and these saints who these saints and apostles who i being something a lot better than i can like the stuff that i've experienced in psychedelic trips yeah, trying yeah. to they did they, they're doing a much better job than yeah. I am. Yep. Um, but it's still um, not the real thing. Yeah. It's, and, and so when we talk about it being valuable, I'm trying to think of like an analogy. So imagine that um, you're like 12 years old and you've never felt romantic love. You felt love before, but never romantic love. You're not there yet. And your dad has the sex talk with you mm. and he tells you about romantic love. And maybe he tells you, his experience of it, he tells you what to look out for and uh, you know what to anticipate, whatever. He tries to help you out. 
It tells you what romantic love is all about. That isn't having romantic love. That's not having the feeling of it. it. In some way, it's totally false, and that kid doesn't even understand what the words mean exactly until he has that feeling, until he falls in love. Then he's like, okay, everything everything my dad says now, now makes sense. Is it helpful in that example to have heard from someone else what was going to happen to you? I think it... Yeah, I think it, you know, even if it doesn't completely prepare you, you have some idea, you know, um, maybe it's not going to, maybe it doesn't even help you that much, but I don't think it hurts you. You know, it like gives you some kind of idea. You, you know what it reminds, I'm sorry to interrupt you. You know what it reminds me of is the, uh, uh, what is it called? The, um, I don't know. The pyramid texts. So this is the oldest religious, religious texts that exist. They're carved into pyramids in Egypt. They're the oldest. And what they do is they, and this was common in ancient Egypt, they would put these sort of murals inside tombs that show, it's like the Egyptian Book of the Dead stuff, that show a soul how you get to heaven. It's like when you die, you're going to have to go through these trials. You're going to have to get judged by this committee of gods, and you and you have to answer the questions correctly and do these things correctly in order to get to the other side. And so it's like when you were alive, learning that you were going to have to do this thing before you could before you could get to heaven. And when you actually die and you and your soul is transmigrating or whatever it happens, is it useful for you to know that there's a journey after that, even if what's being described to you is 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 not 100% true? I don't know. I think it probably is. I think it, it, it at least it takes away like the surprise that you would have. Yeah. Um, and with the romantic love example, the surprise of the new experience, how often does that like throw people? It's like you have a ro you, you have a romantic feeling about somebody and you think, especially the first time, this 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 is the woman I'm going to marry. Like, dude, you're 14. This is the she's the one, you know, because you're naive and the experience is new. It has so much more power. But if somebody told you ahead of time, you're going to be head over fucking heels. You're not going to be thinking straight. You're going to think whatever girl it is that touches your penis the first time is, uh, you know, a goddess manifest on earth. And that that relationship is going to end. And you're going to feel similarly about every other girl that you ever that you ever you know strike up a relationship with. I don't know. I think I think it's still not true, but it's still valuable in some way. That's my, that's where I'm landing on this. Yeah, I I, I generally agree with you. Um, I had something to say and I lost God it. God damn it! Sorry, man. Um, you do the talking. No, I, I I just wish that I could remember that one thing. Well, it's gone. It'll come back. Maybe. We talked about uh you want do you want to pivot to racism? Yeah, let's pivot to racism. All right. Um yeah, let's pull this uh Scott Scott Adams video up. Uh I'm sure some people know about this already. You have to start it from the tab. All right, do you want to set this up before we watch it? So Scott Adams, I mean, you know, we've talked about Scott Adams before. He's 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 you know, I think generally uh, like a good-hearted guy. I don't think he's like got bad intentions for anyone. Uh, a couple of his takes recently um, have been not great, um, particularly uh, having to do with things like the stabby, you know, the uh, the coof prevention mm -hmm. device. Um, he is not. He was not great on that. And then once it became apparent that he was not great on that, he became even worse on it by being like, oh, no one could have known except yeah. all the people who did. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, so I'll, I'll, hold on. I wanted to explain to uh, to Kevin, who's not in camera. There are certain words you can't say on YouTube or you want to avoid saying. Otherwise, the video gets pulled down. Mm -hmm. And so if you want to say anything that has to do with a particular medical instance that was a rave across the country recently, that's a problem. It was so a rave. That's why we're... Yeah, yeah, it was a super popular. Yeah, yeah. Everybody was talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyway, I want to add that the reason we talked about Scott Adams in the past is, A, he's the cartoonist that writes the Dilbert comic, which is famous. It has been around a long time. Mm -hmm. But he also wrote a book called God's Debris, which our buddy Daniel Torridin from the UK, now of Australia, by the way, uh, who told us about. We read it. We did some uh, talk, talked about it on the podcast. It was, it was fantastic. I would like to, because Daniel likes that book and, you know, I think has some level of respect for Scott Adams, um, you know, intellectual yeah. acumen. Uh, I would wonder what Daniel thinks about this. And I also wonder what Daniel thinks about um, Scott Adams positions in general, because Scott Adams is kind of controversial, you know, he's, I, I don't know if he always was, but he is now for sure. Right. He's pretty much always, I mean, when he was doing Dilbert, he was doing comics and yeah. that's not that, you know, but ever since he kind of has been Scott Adams and not just the cartoonist who does Dilbert, he's, I mean, he got big for being a Trump supporter. Oh, know? I didn't know that. Yeah. But he, he does do this thing. And I think it's probably what we're watching here. He does this thing. It's a uh, like coffee with Scott Adams. He does it every, like every morning, uh, basically every day, every, yeah. every morning. So is that what we're going to see here? Yep. Okay. Do you want me to? Yeah. All right, here we go, guys. Let's watch Scott Adams and see what he has to say. Uh, well, Rasmussen poll uh, had a uh, provocative little poll today. They said, uh, do you agree or disagree with the statement, uh, it's okay to be white? That was an actual question. Rasmussen asked, you know, white and black voters and, and probably others, uh, do you disagree or agree with the statement, it's okay to be white? 26% of blacks said uh, no. It's not okay to be white. Jesus. 21% weren't sure. Add them together, that is 47% of black Jesus respondents Christ. were not willing to say it's okay to be white. That, that actually, that's like a real poll. This just happened. Uh, did you have any idea? <laughs> would, would, would you have imagined that that could have happened? Have to do it over there. All right, what's up? He says there, can you imagine? Can you? I can. Like, he seems like this is new information to him. Um, and I've not seen that particular poll, but just... Looking at society, looking at the way people talk on the news, looking at, you know, and on the news, I'm talking about like, you know, people who have much more of a influence in shaping culture. And on social media, I'm talking about people who consume that culture and act it out in the world. Mm -hmm. um, I, this doesn't surprise me at all. So I think like as an optimist, and I consider myself to be more of an optimist, and that's made me a naive human being for my life. I still struggle with that. I'll be perfectly honest about that. As an optimist, I look at this and think to myself, there's a difference between between thinking that, uh, let's just talk about black people specifically here. There's It's a, it's different to say that black people uh, were historically marginalized, and so, um, so 
white, so the majority population, in this case, white people, um, have some obligation to uh, remedy those historical, um, you know, disadvantages. There's one thing to say something like that. That's like an affirmative action type of a type of a stance. Um, it's another thing to say that that trying to restore what we perceive to have taken from black people means that somehow white people now are to be uh, demonized. Per, you know, yeah, yeah, demonized. That's a great word to put it. It's one thing to say we owe as a society. Uh, black, black people something as a remedy for historical wrongdoings. I don't 100% agree with that, but it's one thing to take that position. It's not, there's a huge gap between that position and white people, you know, are evil or white people. It's not okay to be white. It's not white. okay to be white. Yeah. I, what the fuck does that even mean? I have no idea. If you're, if you're white, you should kill yourself. What is the implication? It's the, the implication is terrible. It's things you can't say out loud. To say that it's not okay to be white means means that we should have less white people or none, and that and that implies that we should either excommunicate them or or have them killed. Kind of mean, Mister Mustachey. You know what I mean? Yeah, but, it's uh, a little. Yeah, but continuing to foster this idea that that uh, that white people owe black people something, and that we as a group collectively are responsible for their hardships and disadvantages even today. Um, that's a very dangerous and completely ridiculous thing to to perpetuate, and that's exactly what we're doing. You know, I think that something is on the surface maybe as uh, – I don't even know if this if – it's not fair to say, but uh, if we can talk about affirmative action for a second. If we say that uh, – oh, boy, it's such a slippery – such a slippery conversation to even start. Yeah, but you know I love the slippery. <laughs> Like slippery in what way? Like you're worried to say something that's going to get you in trouble? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I think there's some of that. So that's one thing that I am proud of Scott Adams for here. He, I mean, he's caught in flack for this. I'm surprised the stream isn't taken down. I'm surprised. A lot of people were like, he's going to walk this back. He's going to, you know, but to my knowledge, he hasn't. What we're doing in this country in the sake of equity and inclusion let's say what we're doing in this country for those ends is similar to yelling fire in a crowded theater in terms of what we're doing to the white population and i've seen those many videos recently of black kids beating up white kids of you know black people beating up some white person on the bus and, and you know i don't know obviously you don't see the context you don't know what happened but in many cases especially the one that most recently of this uh like much larger black kid uh, or was maybe it was a black chick beating this white kid on the bus ruthlessly oh, yeah, yeah, I saw that. and his hands are you know the whole time ruthlessly um, I have a hard time thinking that that kind of behavior doesn't have something to do with the with the cultural position that yeah. that white whiteness is bad. So to bring this to a personal level, um, I don't want to get too specific, uh, but I've had a person who's very close to me and is young. So I mean, he's not he's not like a teenager or anything, but he's younger. I know who it is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, who. You know, because he's young, just like leans a little bit more liberal, progressive. Sure. Um, and I actually, like almost 10 years ago, uh, he was saying something that at that point I was like, dude, that's racist. What are you, you know, what are you doing? Um, and it probably, you know, 
my ideas on what is and isn't racist is completely different now. But um, I, I basically coached him, like, don't be racist, you know. Uh, and I don't regret that. I think that that's a good thing to learn. But I do think that eventually, like I said, your understanding of what is and isn't racist needs to develop some. Mm-hmm. You know, it's good to to want to be fair to people. Yep. But you have to, like, carry that through logically all the way through for everyone. Yep. Um, so, he, you know, like I said, he he leans a little bit more in the progressive kind of thing racially. And uh, I think that that is partially my doing because of that, that little coaching session that I had with him. Yeah. Uh, But recently he's had an experience that I think maybe makes him see the reality of what things are. And he has a friend, he works with a friend who is a black guy and I like the guy. Um, He's a nice guy. He's, you know, funny, uh, not the greatest worker in the world though. We'll put it that way. He's a good worker, but he, Leaves, he leaves a lot to be desired, and he doesn't really hide that either. Like managers, everyone sees these areas where he's lacking. Uh, and he says to my brother that he thinks the reason that he's not advancing more in the company is because he's black and that the company is racist. The vice president of the company is black. The guy who manages the shop floor is black. There are more black and Puerto Rican people who work at that shop than white people. Yep. Um, to say that that place is racist is retarded yep and i'm not a manager i see this guy texting on the clock all the time of course you're not getting promoted yep of course you're not getting a raise and if you told him that you'd be the racist and that's what happened colin yeah colin you know (laughs) oh god i i i have this thing where it's like i tend to keep my mouth shut in real life because I don't want to get fucking fired. If this dude is like, Hey, this guy's a racist. I I'm fucking fired because I'm not a racist. Yep. Um, and you know, luckily that him and Colin have like, they are friends. So it didn't come to that, but they're the, they definitely took a hit. And that guy went and told another guy. And now that guy doesn't like, uh, he doesn't fuck with him, you know? Mm. So you were talking. Remember, uh, what was it the, in Mississippi when the when the first school was was integrated? Uh, there's like a name for it, like the Mississippi Seven or something. I can't remember, but there's a video of this little black uh, girl walking up the steps into the school into the white school for the first time, and the National Guard is standing along both sides to protect the the, the black students who are walking into the school because they're because the white people are so upset that they're integrating the schools. These kids. The perception was that they were at, in danger, that they were at risk of getting beat up or killed or something. So the National Guard was there to protect them. Do you, you know this? Is this ringing a bell to you? Vaguely, yeah. So there's an image of this little girl. She's probably like seven, eight years old walking up the steps to this to this in school and just all these fucking army men, right? All these National from, Guardmen. You said this is from like the 60s or something? Yeah. Well, yeah, whenever, yeah I know whenever, exactly yeah. what you're talking about. I just didn't catch the time frame. Yep. So I'm I'm comparing this uh, this picture of integration of schools where black kids are being allowed to come to the white schools and what society is doing to make sure this happens. I'm contrasting that to what's happening today with the black kid beating the absolute piss out of this white kid on the bus, seemingly for no fucking reason, when he's way younger and way smaller than you. What could the reason have been? I mean, I'm just, I don't mean I, I, I don't know, but it's like nobody is standing up to protect that kid, and in fact. All of the other kids, and in particular the white kids, who might stand up to say, "Hey, you know, what are, what are you doing?" Yeah, they're not only are they 
they are scared. But the question is, why are they scared? Yeah, because I don't it, think because that it's necessarily they're afraid that they're going to get beaten up or something, but it's afraid they're afraid that if I I mean, if I stand up and punch this person of color in the face, uh, I'm going to be painted as a racist. Like Correct. I might go to fucking jail. Correct. There's way, way, way worse social repercussions for the white kid hitting the black kid than for the black kid who started it beating the absolute shit out of this defenseless defense defenseless well, white kid. He didn't do why anything. why is there such a difference? Why is it okay in one case and not in the other? Or less bad in one case than the other? That that sort of equity that we're talking about is absolute bullshit. Mm -hmm. it, it it's causing schools to start segregating kids again. They're having classes where the black kids and white kids are separated now you know what in the fuck are we doing do we want to have a black water fountain again do we want to do that, that that's that's what, what the liberals want. want it's unbelievable it's unbelievably racist what's happening and nobody wants to say shit because if you do you're fucking racist for you saying know, it you know what though like honestly if you go back to the thing I was talking about with people should be able to associate with each other and build their own societies and shit like that. If black people want to go build a black society and not allow anyone else in, I, that's fine. The problem is that if white people said they wanted to do that, obviously, you know, you're talking about white nationalism, which yeah. is a huge problem. Or David Koresh. And we all know what happened to David Koresh. Branch Davidians. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We do know what happened. We do. And it wasn't good. Wasn't good. Wasn't good. Lots of kids died. You want to get back to this video? Sorry. No, no. We're yeah. Good. yeah, we can. I want to hear what this guy has to say. So I realized, um, as you know, I've been identifying as black for a while, years now, because I like, you know, I like to be on the winning team. And I like to help. And I, I always thought, well, if you help the black community, that's sort of the biggest lever. You know, you, could, you can find the, the biggest benefit. So I thought, well, that's the hardest thing and the biggest benefit. So I'd like to focus a lot of my life resources in helping black Americans. So much so that I started identifying as black to just be on the team I was helping. But it turns out that nearly yeah, half of that team for a second. Uh, doesn't. So this, uh, he, I clearly, you know, so he's saying he's, he now identifies as black. Yeah, he's to be being on, kind of tongue in cheek. Yeah, he's being kind of, what, what, how do you feel about that? Um, I just don't really take it that seriously. I, I mean, he says uh, I identify as black because I want to be on the winning team. And I think that there are interesting implications to that, like the things that we were just talking about. Um, yeah, the, uh, you know, the, I think that's kind of what he's alluding to there, the equity of certain people being held to higher standards mm. than other people, which is completely fucked. Do, do you see this? I mean, I know, I know you probably do, but do you see this as like intentionally dehumanizing white people the way that the way that we did, let's say, in Vietnam, when in order to get white soldiers to to take lives, we we uh, I'm not including myself in this, but the United States military brainwashed. I think that's the appropriate word of uh, soldiers to think that like they were they were uh, they were less human. Yeah. Same thing Hitler did when he when he talked about hygiene and, you know, purity of genes, you know, the more you dehumanize uh, another group, the easier it is to mistreat them. And that's what we're doing in this country. Mm -hmm. And the strangest part about it is white people are the majority yeah. and we're doing it to ourselves. That's the thing I said uh, at one point to the person I was talking about earlier. 
is, you know, I, I have some kind of sympathy for black people who feel that way because they've been raised their entire lives. White people are a lot of them. White people are evil. Don't trust white people, blah, 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 blah. So if you're raised being told that by the people who you look up to and admire, you're going to have, you're going to think that. And no matter how much I treat you with respect and kindness and courtesy, if I say anything that you disagree with, suddenly I become racist. It's like, that doesn't line up with our relationship, you know? Right. But so again, I kind of understand where black people are coming from. I don't agree with them, but I know why they think it. Does that remind you of like the way that Israeli and Arab kids are like, I don't know. But um, the thing that I said to that person is you're going to find out that a lot of your white friends feel the exact same way. That if you say anything, if you start talking about these these things, they're going to throw you under the bus. They're going to, you know, uh, basically, yeah, white people, we've internal, a lot of white people uh, have internalized this and be like, yeah, we're bad, mm. which is um, I don't I really don't even know what what to think about it, I guess. I guess I should be able to understand it more because I used to be sort of sympathetic to that like a decade ago, you know? Um, it reminds me of those Christians in the Middle Ages during the plague that were wa walking around from village to village, self-flagellating themselves, you know, whipping them, whipping themselves because they needed to suffer and bleed in order, in order for God to relieve them of the plague. Mm. It's like you, you, you've got this idea in your head that, that you're the problem and you're going to punish yourself to try to fix the problem and it's completely irrational. Yeah. So it's hard for me to speak on that, um, that like level of religious fervor. Um, but I do think, and, and also like something like the plague, I don't, I don't know. I, I have a hard time with a lot of people who are like, you know, God sends plagues and hurricanes, although it's, I mean, it's pretty explicit about that in the Bible, but um, a lot of other things, um, like issues that we have in society, it, whether, whether you think about it as God sending it or not, it, whether it's just a consequence of your own actions, that seems a completely meaningless distinction to me because you're behaving in these ways that is, they have consequences. Your actions have consequences and you put yourself in this state by your own actions where you are miserable. Um, yeah, I forget where I was going with yeah. that really, but it's just a strange thing, man. It's a strange thing. And the strangest part about it, like I said, is the fact that it, that white people are a majority population. So it's like when you have that advantage, quote unquote advantage in a society, you don't you don't have to to self-flagellate. You don't have to, but we're choosing to, making ourselves we're making ourselves the enemy and it makes me wonder, you know how people say that like uh, white women. Oh, oh I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah so that, that, that's what I was getting at. It's like, I do think that there's some value in maybe not like flagellation. Although I don't know, you know, I'm not that deep into it, but I do think that there's some kind of, you need to suffer, you know, like you need to get yourself back to a place where you appreciate the good things, you know, where to acknowledge that the path you were on was not good. Mm. Mm. Um, and Sometimes I think that just those consequences, that can be the flagellation, you know, and then yeah. you see the light that it's like, I, I can't be doing that's I feel like I've been on that path, you know, that I was making all these decisions. I was 
espousing ideas and then not living up to them in my real life, yep. you know? Yep. And I became fucking miserable and yeah. depressed. And yeah. the last year of my life has not been great. And the last three months of my life have been particularly fucking rough. And I'm just like, it just hit me. This is all my fault. So you know, that's my flagellation. This last year and, you know, three months particularly, of my, that's been me walking around, slapping myself in the back with yeah, the rope. You're right about that, man. That's a good, that's, that's a good way of putting it. Uh, and, and the analogy to, uh, to the society is interesting. You know, like we're, do, we're doing this to ourselves. And, we, and it seems like we're doing it for the purpose of suffering. Like if we bring the society down, which we seem to be doing everything we can to, to collapse it, then we're going to force ourselves to suffer. Then we're going to have perspective that we didn't have while we were flourishing, and then we can fix the problem. Mm -hmm. It's very interesting, man. Like why do we have to suffer? Why do we have to tear, tear things down to learn the lesson we need to get back to where we need to be? It's weird, man. It's like Jordan Peterson in Maps of Meaning talking about having a little death. And he's like, you have a little psychological death. So when you when you run into the chaos and you find yourself in a situation where uh, nothing makes sense and you're scared and uh, don't know what to do and and all that sort of thing, um, it's always better to have those e events happen when they're small mm -hmm. rather than waiting for them to build up to something big. Then you have a catastrophic collapse and you may not be able to to resurrect yourself. Then yeah. you know you yeah. need little deaths and then you make little adjustments. You don't want a big fucking death. Mm -hmm. You know. Yep. Are we, um, done? Are we done with this video? Uh, I think there's a little bit more. Do you want to? Yeah, let's, okay. let's see what else he says. The it's not a very long clip. I'm okay to be white, which is, of course, why I identified as black, because so I could be on the winning team for a while. But I have to say, uh, th this is the first political poll that ever changed my activities. I don't know that that's ever happened before. You know, normally, you see a poll, you just look at it, you go, ah, whatever. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, this is interesting what other people think. But as of today, I'm going to re-identify as white because I don't want to be a member of a hate group. I'd accidentally joined a hate group. Accidentally. So if, if you know, nearly half of all blacks uh, are not okay with white people, according to this poll, not according to me, according to this poll, uh, that's a hate group. That's a hate group. Yeah, it is. And I don't want to have anything to do with them. And I would say up there you know, for a second, if the poll is to be believed, if it's true that nearly 50% of black people when asked, is it okay to be white either said no, or I'm not sure that's f seriously fucked up. That is like, Put the shoe on the other foot and it's like immediately fucked up. Overwhelming, yeah. overwhelming racism. Like I, I can't even, I, I don't even know if, if in Nazi Germany, at the height of Nazi Germany, when they were putting Jews into, into train cars and taking them away, if 50% of the German population would have said, it's not okay to be Jewish. Maybe, but that's the kind of comparison that we're making. Mm -hmm. It's terrible. Yeah. We don't have to watch anymore. That's, okay. that's basically it. All right. All right. Well, let's just stop the share. Okay. And we're back. So Man. what else we got? Well, shit. Well, we didn't talk about anything on my list. Uh, oh, I have something for you. You remember how we were talking about like, how to brand the podcast and how and and oh, yeah, try, trying to find some thread that we can use? And one of the things that we, well, you coined when we first set this podcast up was that we were we were hoping to have an experiment in conversation. And so part of this is you and I, lifelong friends, 
having these conversations once a week about, you know, personal topics, but also, you know, topical things. And our, as we grow up, our minds change and we're not identical people, although we grew up together. So we're in this unique position where we kind of share a mutual history and we know each other really well, but we have our differences. And that's what makes this fun, proving to the world that people who don't always agree can have uh, productive conversations and interesting conversations. Helps if they've been friends for over 30 years. You tend to be more accepting of those people. But we do also like to have people on the podcast, other people to talk about that. Like we did with, uh, with John way back when, uh, and we did with Daniel and we became good friends with Daniel and that kind of thing. Um, so I had this idea, uh, experiment and conversation is good. And I think we should keep that. Um, but I, as far as my solo podcast go, you know, I'm like doing like, I'm, I don't know what you'd call it. I'm doing kind of like a lecture. Um, teaching and learning is what I'm doing. You know how like in uh, newspapers, you've got your regular articles, and then you have your op-eds. Mm-hmm. And for those people who don't know, opinion editorials are like, how can we tell talk about the news, but in a way that's not objective. It doesn't have to be objective. It could be my opinion. Well, that's kind of what the news has become, right? Every, every single channel you turn on is op-eds. Yeah. But in the old days, newspapers had a section for it. You would get an opinion piece, and it would be exactly that. I'm not trying to be objective. I'm not trying to tell you the facts. I'm trying to tell you the opinion. So I had this sort of idea. It's like that's what I'm doing when, when I do my solo podcast. I'm not doing uh, teaching. I'm doing opinion teaching. So, so this is what I was thinking. How do you phrase a There's something to that. There might be something I, to I, that. I don't know how you – like you you like welcome to the two tongues podcast uh my solo episode opinion scholarship or whatever you yeah, said yeah opinion scholarship i just think that that phrase is appropriate for what i'm doing and i got to figure out a way of like making it a catchphrase coin it yeah opinion scholarship I, that's what i'm doing man i'm reading uh talking about you know philosophical ideas religious ideas ideas from scholars and uh if i was in academia you'd call that scholarship but yeah. i'm not so what is that <laughs> It's opinion scholarship, man. Opinion scholarship. Yeah. All right. Okay. So that's one thing. Um, yeah, there's definitely – I like the sound of it. Okay. It's got a ring to it. Me too. I'm not sure what we'll do with it, but something about that. All right. Uh, also, I saw a um, trailer for History of the World Part 2 on Hulu. Did you see this? No. You Do you remember History of the World, Mel Brooks? Yeah. Kevin, do you remember History of the World? He's nodding. Uh, so – History of the world. If anybody who knows Mel Brooks, um, you know, like uh, Mel Brooks did um, help me out here. Uh, Young Frankenstein and uh, Robin Hood Men in Tights. Robin Hood Men in Tights. One of my favorites. Spaceballs. Thank so. you, Kevin. <laughs> what, what's the one? What's the the one that's racist uh, with the where he where he throws it? It's like a cowboy's. He oh, throws uh, in the, blazing blazing saddles. saddles. Thank yeah. you, thank you. So this so he does all of this. Uh, Mel Brooks and he's an old, he's an old now, right? He's old. Yeah. And so History of the World came out like I don't know, maybe it was like in the late seventies or early eighties or something. It came out a long time ago. And um, I can tell you the, all I remember about that movie is the opening scene. And I still laugh when I think about it. Yeah. It, it's the opening scene is a bunch of uh, like Monkeys. primates yeah. sitting up on this hilltop and the sun is coming up. And so you had this time lapse thing, slow, slow motion thing where the sun's coming up and the primate creatures are evolving. So it's like a fast motion almost. And you can see them evolving. And the moment they turn into human beings, they just start jacking off. All of them just start jacking off. So, so that's just what I remember. Uh, any, in any case, now they're doing a sequel to it. It's going to yeah. be coming out soon on Netflix, and it stars uh, Mel, uh, Mel Brooks is in it, but it also stars uh, Kroll, 
Okay. What's his name? Nick Kroll. Uh, Nick Kroll and uh, Wanda Sykes. And there's like a whole bunch of uh, comedians in it. So anyway, I mean, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to that. I, I, I am not huge on sequels, especially nowadays, the way, the way that they're just terrible. Yeah. Uh, but because this is Mel Brooks and it's been like 30 years, I'm curious. Uh, I'm curious about it. Yeah. I'm willing to bet that it'll be funny, you know? Um, but I, honestly, I, I pretty much any kind of movies or anything like that anymore. I expect just a bunch of like stuff that I'm going to disagree with, you know, like um, oh, pushing sure. agendas and stuff like that. And I mean, all of those people that you mentioned are super liberal. True. True. But see, Mel Brooks is old school. True. And, and he was not afraid to make racist jokes during blazing saddles. You know, I wonder what, if you'll push the envelope, I would, I'll watch it for some reason. When you said history of the world, I, I like glazed right over that movie and was thinking of, that it was like some documentary series. Oh, no, or something. No, no, no. So, but yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. I'm turning Kevin's mic up in case he has anything to say about history of the world. Anything. <clears throat> so they did a, he was on celebrity jeopardy. You got to come closer, man. I think it's Nick Kroll. Yeah. And he was presenting it on celebrity jeopardy like last week. And uh, he was sitting there talking about it. He didn't really get into detail about what they were talking about, but they were just laughing about how they decided it was a good idea to make a sequel, you know, 35 years later. Yeah, or yeah, yeah. It's coming out. But I was very excited <laughs> to watch this whenever it gets released. Yeah, me too, man. I am very excited. Yeah, it's going to be good. All right. Uh, I don't know how his audio was because I couldn't really hear it in here. But anyway, um, okay, so we got Opinion Scholarship. We got History of the World. I wanted to ask you, oh, can we bring up The Crucible one more time? Sure. Of course. Oh, yeah, we can definitely bring Let's, up the Crucible. I think we should. Time. So just to refresh your memory, last week, Kyle and I talked about a, uh, a debate that was done that, that on the YouTube channel, The Crucible. That's what they do, you know, debates. And I had, took some umbrage with the idea of debates in general. And so Kyle, Kyle, any, anyway, reaches reaches out to uh, the the main host's uh, wife on social media so that they actually, you know, both of them yeah. li listen to it. And that had nothing good to say about it. I now, to be fair, no, they had they had some good stuff to say oh. about it, but it was all about me. <laughs> <laughs> so, <clears throat> well, I, let, let's talk about that because what I was objecting to about debate in general is this idea that when people are having a conversation, they have an opportunity to gr learn and grow mutually or to own a motherfucker. And people who just want to own a motherfucker, to me, um, I understand that that's kind of part of what debate is about, but I don't like that. I don't think it's helpful. I don't think it's helpful. And um, I, so that's what I said uh, anyway. And then they covered um, that on their podcast. Yeah, so I wish I would have known that the – so what they did – it was a super show. They were like fundraising for new equipment. So it was a like nine hour stream. Woo. Yeah. He started at three 30 and didn't end till like 1230. Um, and I actually, I was watching cause I knew he was going to talk about it. Uh, and I had dozed off on the couch uh, and I woke up and our podcast was on the TV. And I thought that YouTube had just like started auto playing one of our podcasts, but then I heard someone else talking and I like immediately woke up um and like rewound the stream and started oh so they use clips from our podcast oh he just like straight up played it oh he shit. just like you know uh, not yeah. the whole podcast yeah, but yeah. uh a good chunk of it yep um and was just kind of like picking apart your arguments uh that's where base fat chad comes from uh he started off he was like now look at the screen right now and i want you to tell me which one of these two guys you think is going to suck and which one of these two guys you think is going to be an absolute chat yep and uh, the the audience was like the fat guy. The fat guy's gonna be the chat. Um, and 
So that that's where that name comes from. Gotcha. I was gotcha. looking to get rid of Stony Wolf anyways. Yeah. It doesn't make any fucking sense. Um, so yeah. So yeah, they played it and Andrew was talking about it. He, it, you know, he was, uh, he's going to send me the clip eventually. Uh, so I'll be able to, we'll be able to show it and you can react to it and whatever. Um, he was definitely hard on you. Yeah. Uh, but not like it was all in good sport, you know, yeah. like you, you put stuff out about him. So he's just responding to it, you know? Yeah. Um, well, to be fair, my critiques weren't specifically about him, apart from the thing I said about him smoking cigarettes and feeling like a little bit aloof yeah, about you it. You also said you also said at one point that you thought he did a shitty job of something. And you I think when you watch it back, you're gonna realize that there were certain points where maybe you were a little more antagonistic than well, you thought maybe, you would be. Maybe where I took the biggest Which is fine. I don't I'm I'm fine with that. Yeah, 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 sure. I mean, but it's totally in, in respect on my end. I just wanted that to be clear. Sure. But uh one thing I did take the issue with is I said that um if he wanted to have the best conversation with that guy, he would have helped him with his own argument because he clearly wasn't capable of, of, of doing it himself. And instead of doing that, he just kind of laughed at him and made fun of him. And that's the part that I thought was unhelpful. That's the part that makes me feel leery about that style of conversation. And, and just to be perfectly transparent, that's exactly what Andrew did to, to me. So rather than engaging in, uh, in critiquing, what I said, and his wife did a better job, honestly, when she on Twitter, when she's or YouTube, maybe in the comments, we were talking, and uh, she's like, you know, this guy doesn't understand debate or whatever. It's like, yeah, that's exactly the point I was making. I don't like debate. I don't. I don't think it's, it's the difference the, between not understanding it and not liking it. I mean, yeah, maybe so. Um, where was I going with that? Oh, so when he when he then goes to talk about this, his in, instinct is to make fun of me. That's exactly what I was objecting to about debate in the first place. The ad hominems, you're going to laugh at somebody so that the audience thinks you, you can't take him seriously. That, I mean, he definitely did. There were, you know, there were some ad hominems and stuff like that, but it wasn't all that. He definitely pointed out that you contradicted yourself a bunch. Mm. So um, but, things like that. But I said that. I said I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth. You know, yeah. I, I'm being honest and open about, about how I'm actually you know, digesting this and how I actually feel. And people all, all the time have contrary emotions, all the time have contrary intuitions, you know, uh, to be, to be um, completely consistent all the time is to not let yourself think. And I think to be, I'm sorry, can you say that again? To, to, to be completely consistent all the time is to not let yourself think because you eventually you can't challenge yourself. You get into an echo chamber that's a problem. I don't know. Man. I think that being consistent requires yourself to challenge yourself like almost constantly. Well, that would be the right way of doing it. But you can see my my perspective all the time. Somebody who doesn't want to who doesn't want to challenge their beliefs, like let's say a party line um, conservative or a party line liberal. Those are people that can be very consistent as long as they just walk that fucking tightrope. They're very consistent. And those how many. Rank and file conservatives or Republicans ever challenge themselves on but anything. That's, that's the thing, though, is they're not actually being consistent. They think they are, but if they like really analyze what they were doing and the things that they were saying and the reality of the world around them, they would realize that they're not being consistent at all. And I think that is the value. That is part of the value of debate, uh, because again, the debate is not for. The the participants to change their minds. I think it happens, but most of the time you're, you know, evangelizing. Mm. Um, 
And I, I, I will never not think that there's value in that. No, and I never once said there wasn't. No. So it's well, like, yes, I, you did. No, I didn't. I, I, uh, I, I, I said, did. I said more than once that there's value in debate that you can learn a lot very quickly. Do you not remember me saying that? Yeah, I but said it more than once. You did say it more than once, but again, you were contradicting yourself. So I mean, like a, a, a few sentences later, you'd be like, I don't think it's good. Yeah, I don't think it's you know. But I just, but I'm, but you have to be able to clarify, you know. It, th every statement is not a blanket statement and somebody who pretends it is, is, tr is an asshole. Somebody who pretends it is, is trying to pigeonhole you. And that, you know, I'm not having, I'm not that. sure how though. I mean, like in what way I can say that a debate is valuable and I have problems with the debates and both statements can be perfectly true unless you take them as categorical, in which case I'm a hypocrite. And that that's not fair. People are not hypocrites for having, you know, nuanced opinions about things. Okay. So I don't know. So, but my biggest takeaway, and I, and I will listen to that. I want to hear what he has to say, and I want to do it in good humor and all that. But, but the fact that I would take umbrage with somebody, somebody being um, impolite, let's say, and and then you turn around and are impolite about it, it's like you're just reinforcing what I said. You're just reinforcing what I said, and that's how I feel. And you know, I'll, I'll let you know if once I listen to it, if I change my mind at all but that's how i feel yeah i mean i can definitely understand where you're coming from i think um i think both of both you and andrew um are kind of like i don't know just like digging more into the way that you felt before you know like obviously you don't like debate you know, uh, obviously Andrew does like debate. Mm -hmm. So you both are just like, you know, defending the positions that you're, that you're, that you find valuable. Yeah, maybe. I don't think debate is wrong or bad. And I think it's fine. In fact, I think the best way uh, for debate to the most meaningful way to do debate is to say, like, if you have a complicated um, question or topic, uh, you find the best equipped person on both sides and you let them have that conversation, and then it's so much better than a thousand like less educated conversations. And everybody gets the benefit of seeing the best conversation on the topic. I think that's great. That was kind of uh, the position of Jason on the podcast yesterday because we talked a little bit about that. Um, and you know, he was, he said basically the same thing that it, it's valuable to watch two masters like you know hash it out. Um, and I agree with that. Uh, but I think that there's value in, I mean, you know, I guess not masters doing it as well. Yeah, I suppose. Like, um, I'm just imagining, like, I probably just like that uh, William F. Buckley Gore Vidal um, one that we talked about, because for a lot of that, it was it was professional enough and it was courteous enough. And, it, you know, they were going back and forth with each other as you would expect them to. And then at one point, William F. Buckley says, I'll punch you in the mouth. You remember yeah, that? Yeah, I'll suck you in the face and you'll stay plastered. <laughs> you'll stay plastered. So that, that's my point. It's like when you see somebody do that, part of the audience is probably like, fuck, yeah, punch him in the mouth. But but another part of the audience is like, this guy's now lost my respect. Because, yeah, because the, he lost his cool. The side rooting for Gore Vidal will think that. And they never had respect for William F. Buckley in the first place. You don't think that there are neutral people that will Maybe, lose it? But I, I don't know, man. You look – I do not like William F. Buckley. I said that on the last podcast. That being said, Gore Vidal spent like a lot you, – you said that they were cordial, uh, but they weren't really. They were at each other's throats almost the whole time. Yeah. And 
I mean, Gore Vidal kept doing things like calling William F. Buckley a Nazi, and that is like a lot closer to Nazi time, you know? True. Um, but can't you see how that is not helpful to the conversation? Um, I don't know. I think that it can be unhelpful and it can be helpful. It just depends on the situation. It depends on what your goal is, I guess. But if your goal is, if your goal is to one up somebody, um, and if, if somebody's really being a Nazi, is it unhelpful to call them a Nazi? Um, for the, for the purposes of having a conversation, yes, it's unhelpful. If you, if you want to get punched in the face, it's helpful. So I think that um, a lot of times, especially when you are, you know, in the business of broadcasting ideas out to people, sometimes um, you you have to be on the attack. You know what I'm saying? It, yeah. it, it's a blood. I, you just think that everyone should have conversations in private and be nice to each other. I just think if you can avoid... Uh, Violence and bad will, you should. How do you feel about presidential debates? Um, I like the uh, I like parts of it. Um, I especially like when candidates from the same party are arguing with each other. Yeah, because the primaries are the best. That's when you get the most interesting shit. But when you have the Democrat versus the Republican, uh, those are usually a little bit less interesting to me. Um, not because the debate, just because of the way, like how they change their uh, style from the primaries to the, uh, you know, to the, uh, to the big show. So uh, it's more, it's, it's more fun to see Democrats pick apart Democrats or Republicans to pick apart Republicans. Okay. So how did you feel about the 2016 primary debates when Trump was out there just shitting on Ted Cruz yeah. and, you know, little Marco Rubio yeah. and all those Jeb so I, I'm going to be biased in this perspective and say that I probably enjoyed that more than I should have. And But the reason is because I then and now even more think that there's parts of our society that need to have their ass spanked, that need to be, that need to be put welcome, over. Welcome to the crucible opinion, in my <laughs> opinion. Um, you know, you could, if you could get the right person – and I told you this, and, I, and, if, and if Andrew listened to the whole episode, he heard this, that – there are instances where I would be completely on board with you, eating the popcorn next to you, enjoying somebody getting their ass torn apart. But that that requires somebody to be an asshole first, usually, or somebody whose ideas are so dis despicable that they that in my mind they need to be punished, they need to be um, exposed. And I didn't feel that way about that guy, man. I didn't feel that way about the guy. George I, I, Martin? Yeah. I don't His name I can remember now? Yes. I don't agree with him. In fact, I agreed with Andrew's point entirely. The, the argument he made about property, yeah. I 100% agree the, with. The thing, I don't really agree that George Martin was being completely polite. He was being manipulative, and he was not engaging in what they had agreed to come in and engage on. So he was not being completely, you know, he was, he was saying nice words. He wasn't calling Andrew a prick or anything yeah. like that. Um, but 
I, I mean, I, I said this a lot in the last episode. I really don't think that Andrew was being that impolite. I mean, at a certain point he did, you know, he yeah. started, you know, dunking on him a little bit, but yeah. for a long, he gave, he gave Andrew, or uh, he gave, I'm back to forgetting his name. <laughs> he gave George <laughs> Martin a lot of rope. Yeah. And George Martin hung himself with it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And, uh, you know, I was, again, I was on Andrew's side for that argument. I just wish they could have had a different conversation. I just wish, I wish George would have been able to get more of his opinions out. Like Andrew nailed it when he, and it was very obvious from the very beginning, this guy's making an emotional argument. Well, that's what liberals generally do. That's what the climate crisis is. That's what, that, that's how their arguments are. They're always emotional arguments. That's what you expect from liberal people. That's what their personalities are like. So I kind of expect somebody who's going to defend uh, this meatless future to be like that, to make an emotional argument. And Andrew noticed it and said it right away, called it out right away. So Andrew's making rational arguments, you know, about property rights. And George is making irrational arguments about how he feels inside. And they're not arguing the same way, but they might have been able to figure out – like Andrew might have been able to figure out – Do you do you think that George Martin was just too stupid to see what Andrew was trying to do and engage with it? Or do you think that he was like – you know, obviously he wasn't saying this out loud, but do you think subcon or in his mind he was like, I'm not going down this road? I, I think he – I think he subconsciously wasn't going down that road, but I also think he didn't prepare to go down that road. He only had one argument, and he was only prepared to make one argument, and that was the emotional argument. Okay. So when George said 10 minutes into the, the into the interview, I, I don't really know how I can argue any further. It should have been end of story to me. Like, end of story. You've lost. End of story. I, I mean, I, I guess I, I can sympathize with that on some level, but I also think that – the crucible they're creating content they don't want a 10 minute debate sure you know, they no i get you i understand that i get you um and even after that 10 minutes i you know you don't like his style but i think that andrew was pretty patient you know like he he gave the guy like i said he gave him a lot of rope and he hung himself mm -hmm. with it and at that point we, we that was the whole point of our conversation it's like eventually it's like okay if you're not gonna be in this then i'm just gonna i'm gonna tee off on you you know yeah you know what, what you said about uh, George uh, George Vidal. What you said about Gore, Gore, Gore Vidal, uh, you know, calling William F. Buckley a Nazi. Um, so I was called, you know, in coverage of this conversation, uh, a a moral relativist. You you remember this? Yeah. I, I was called a moral relativist. I don't think anything could be further from the truth that I am a moral relativist. So to to say that is like calling me a Nazi. It's like calling me a name without justification. And I don't think maybe that makes for an interesting debate. Maybe it makes for a fiery debate and maybe that's what he wants and maybe that's good. But I simply don't fucking want that in a conversation. You're not going to get anywhere that way. One thing I would like to see from you mm -hmm. um, is I know that you have a moral code. Um, but I don't know what that moral code is grounded in, in the position, the, the current, like spiritual kind of position that you're in. Yep. Um, I, I don't know where the grounding for those morals comes from. Well, it's, that's a great topic. So let me tell you as much as, as much as comes to my mind about this. I think that there are patterns in the world in nature and in your psychology that repeat and they have to do with. They have to do with voluntary, voluntary self-sacrifice. So we look at the world and we, and we see the world as a unity. 
If you do psychedelics and have a mystic experience, you come out saying the same thing. Everything is one. But we see that even in, even in our waking life. We see that everything is one. Everything's connected. You know, the tides, the fucking, you know, water cycle, the temperature, you know, the fucking jet stream, life, everything. Cycles are connected and everything. And so when we do something like kill an animal to eat it, goes to go back to the topic of that debate, we are taking a life to sustain a life. So there's always a sacrifice required for to keep things to keep things going. Um, you know, the, uh, the plants die in the, in the winter and they come back up in the spring and you can see, you can see this sort of, the world is self-sacrificial. And as a parent, you feel that way even more. When you have kids, you realize that your life is sacrificial. At that point, your life becomes a sacrifice to your child, your entire life. Every moment, every worry, every dollar you earn, every goal you have is now organized for somebody else. So I am pouring myself into my Children, that's what I'm doing. That's required. Voluntary self-sacrifice. Now, I can tie that back to Christianity and say that's what Jesus did. Voluntary self-sacrifice. Sure. So that's where my moral code comes from, living living for others, but recognizing why, the unity. Why is that right? Like, why is that the right way to go about life? Because it accords with what life is. It accords with the essence of, of reality. The essence of reality is self-sacrificial. So if you do not live your life self-sacrificially in alignment with the natural order of things, you will be unhappy. You will be depressed. You will be anxious. You will be, you know, suicidal. You will be lost. And that is that is that message is so close to the Christian message that I I, I fail to see how my morality differs from Christian morality. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. I would have to, uh, it, it's very vague. You well, know, it's I, like, thou shalt not kill. Why? Because you are me. That's what I think. I shouldn't kill you because you are me. So that's how, that's, that's the basis of it. Thou shalt not steal. Why? Because you are me. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. Why? Because you are me. It's all consistent to me. And that comes, that all of that morality comes from, I don't want to say this is probably not true. Not all of that morality, but but the impetus for this conversation comes from psychedelic experience. What for is me. what is you know your brand of psychedelic spirituality have to say about things like like okay so where do you land on something like homosexuality? Um, I think. That I'm more liberal than you on this. Yeah, I, th I, 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 yeah. I, I think that when I when I think about something from the Bible, like be fruitful and multiply, if I think about that as a um, as a, my neck. No, it's okay. Uh, as as like a duty that I have to the cosmos. If I choose to be homosexual and I'm not doing that, am I doing something wrong? You know, it's really tough to it's really tough to say. But if you ask me, do I think it's sin? Eh, by that I mean, do you think it's worthy of punishment or hell? No, I don't think so. Um, I think no, I don't think so. You know, um, do I think homosexuality is like socially disruptive? Not particularly. Not particularly. Um, you don't think so? No. Do I think Jesus would say a gay man can't live in my community? No. I think it depends on the gay man's behavior. 
Yes. Yes. I would agree. Yeah. yeah. That's how, that's exactly how I feel. Um, I don't, you know, we, we talked about it a little bit earlier with the pride parade stuff. I just don't want you, um, copulating in public, you know, I don't want, and aside from that, what I don't want is you getting a job as a public school teacher and teaching my fucking son that it's okay to, to explore that because I don't believe that it is. And it's not the place of a teacher. If you do, I think that there should be harsh consequences to be perfectly fucking honest with you. Sure. If you're in a public institution teaching other people a way of life that they consider to be degenerate and a way of life that if you look at the reality of things, it, the reality is borne out that it's not good. You know, that a lot of these people who say that they're happy, they're, they have way higher instances of depression. Look, look at the trans community. Like it's a fucking mess, man. The, a lot of those people are not happy. They transition and they think that it's going to make them happy, but they never dealt with what the real issue is. So they're not happy. I don't want that for my kids. Yeah. I don't want teachers pushing that on my kids. Yeah. And if they do, like I said, harsh consequences. Yeah. No, I agree with you. I think if if an adult that wasn't a parent uh, was doing anything to influence a young child's uh, thoughts contrary to the wishes of their parents, whether it's in a, a public school makes it worse. <clears throat> but you know, even not in that in that context necessarily is um, is terrible. I mean, it's terrible. It's it's unforgivable, and it's like so arrogant. I, I can't even possibly imagine how somebody would think that it's it's like. Going back to um, – there was an example I wanted to bring up. Oh, I saw – it was a video of a lady uh, uh, university chair, somebody. I can't remember. I see so many little videos uh, <laughs> talking about how children – uh, there's studies that show children are capable of making uh, decisions about their gender transition. Um, you know, while still children, that they can make rational decisions about their yeah. future. Um, now I'm all confused about where I was going with this. I, w I wanted to make it. Fuck I that. I wanted to make. I know. Fuck that. Fuck that. How soon until they can consent to sex? Exactly. Fuck that. Yeah. Fuck that. If, and that is my, that's my point. No. So there. So there's an arrogance involved with somebody saying, "I know best for your kids." There's an arrogance for someone saying, "I know best for you," which is what government does all the time, and. I wonder, you would agree with that, right? There's an arrogance involved in saying, I know best. Depends. I mean, sometimes I think that you can demonstrate that you know best. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I don't think that that's Do you not understand how what you're saying seems very subjective? In what way? Say, I can prove to you that I'm right. Uh, you know, but we're still like, well, you know, let people do what they want. Um, again, do what you want, not near my fucking kids. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, but my problem is that like any kind of moral subjectivity, you have no ground to say that what I'm saying is not it, like, if you're a moral subjectivist, you can't agree with me. Yeah, correct. And if you try to, um, somebody's going to be able to pick it apart because you don't, you know, you things are not objective to you. No, I, I don't think I do think that there's a lot more subjectivity than people. The conservatives will, will allow generally and religious people will allow generally. Um, but I do believe that there's a, such thing as right 
and wrong. And I do believe that that is there's all there's more of a gray area than conservatives would and religious people would like to would like to admit. Um, it's more complicated than cut and dry, black and white. But I do believe that there's such thing as as objective morality, and that comes from our unity, in my opinion. And I think that's the message of religion. So already described that the basis of, of morality is the fact that we are identical. So love your neighbor as yourself, treat others as you like to be treated. That is the fundamental law. And, you know, without a religious tradition and just my mystical perspective, um, you can make that same claim. Now I happen to have both a religious perspective and mystical perspective, and I think they line up. Um, but I'm not going to be comfortable being as cut and dry on on many arguments as somebody like you, maybe yourself or Andrew. Uh, I'm, you know, I don't know that. I guess if I if I am too cut and dry, I run two risks. One is I don't learn from the other person, and I might be able to. And the second is, I had another one here. I lost it. I think that. The thing about not being able to learn from people, I don't think that's true. I think that you can be, I don't know, was consistent the word that you were using? If you're like always consistent um, or if if you're too like rigid in your beliefs, I yeah. don't know, that you won't be able to learn. Um, I don't know. I don't think that that's necessarily true. Um, I think that. I don't know that you can come to understand something better. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, through listening to other people, um, even if you are very, you know, you, you've got your ideas, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you've got your framework that you're operating within. Yeah. I think it's important to listen to other people, you know? No, I know you do. I, it's important. It's important to get the feedback from people. Otherwise you just become a megalomaniac. But I, my point is that you were like making it seem like people who are very conservative, just, they're not interested in that. But I think that like someone like Andrew, um, He's a very conservative guy, uh, but he, I mean, he hosts a debate show. Like, obviously, he's interested in listening to people. He's not just interested in dunking on people and making them look like idiots. Yeah. He's happy to do that, yeah. uh, which I am too. And it's funny that I, you know, if you go back through this podcast and listen to it, I've always been more that guy, yes, like the more firebrand mm -hmm. kind of a person mm -hmm. on the show. Which is why I like to have you on the yeah. show, man. <laughs> um, so I, it's just, it just kind of, like I said, lines, we're just kind of taking the size that we had before and just like digging into them, you know? Yeah. I don't know if I am. I don't know if I'm digging, if I feel like I'm digging in. Um, but I do think there's, I only ever saw the one crucible. So I do. And I said it before I do need to, I would, and I would like to watch more of those and get a better feel for them. Uh, that one instance of Andrew is all I have. I don't have anything else to compare it to. You should watch. Um, some of the episodes where that guy, I tagged, uh, you and I told him about your young series, PF young. Yeah. Um, he does some debates on there that I think you would like David Patrick Harry does some debates that I think you would like. Um, I think what might be frustrating for you. And I think in a good way, uh, because it might like make you like want to flesh that out for them, you know, like, uh, is listen to the debates with people who are more in line with your thing, because I got to tell you, the, the moderators on the crucible are extremely good. The, even if they have a bias towards the, they do not express it. Good. Um, 
And a lot of the people who say things like you say, they don't do very well because yeah. it is, it's hard to like base it on anything. Yep. You know what I mean? Now, so No. So I would love to have those conversations, but if I were trying to have, if I was trying to have that conversation, I would be trying to learn what their perspective is that makes them feel contrary to me. I would want to learn and, and understand their um, frame of mind. If I'm trying to do that from my seat and from their seat, they're trying to make me look like a fool. I'm out. Yeah, yeah I'm I, out. I'm with you. If you are, I, I we said this on the the last podcast. If you are being good faith and you're not trying to make the other person look like an idiot, if they do that to you, that's shitty. I, I really do believe that. Yeah. Um, don't you like I, again? I know we're talking about debate now, but don't don't you want people to be curious? People, it's like that's like what makes the living fun. Yeah, is to I, be curious. I about want things. people to be curious, but this is what it, it's gone back to the entire time. If it becomes obvious. To to me that they're not curious it's smash time yeah. you know yeah okay okay i can see that do you and do you think george was not curious in that conversation no. about yeah no, I, he was I, you, not curious at all but did you think andrew was curious yes really all, all the time i think that andrew is always happy to listen to someone's argument um but if it doesn't pass the muster logically you can't let it go you know like i i've recently had some tension with a couple people on uh, Twitter because uh, actually with the two bit podcast uh, that how I got involved with those guys is they did a, they do a show called friend or fed where they talk about a person describing whether they're a friend to the movement or a fed, which, you know, actively trying to, sub, you know, trying to subvert it from within things like that. Um, and they did one on Dave Smith and the vast, vast majority of it was very complimentary to Dave because Dave's a nice guy. Yeah. Um, and this guy, Clint Russell, like didn't even watch any of it and just saw that people were criticizing Dave Smith and like fucking flipped his shit, blocked a bunch of people. And I just like Harbor, like I just don't particularly like Clint Russell. Hmm. Um, I don't even remember why I brought this up. <sighs> Can't remember what tr track we were on. It was something about debate. Oh, I think it was just like, I don't know. Basically, I think that Clint Russell is soft and yeah. he can't take criticism, like friendly criticism. Uh, that I think that is what we were getting at. Um, and it, uh, apparently a lot of his fans are like that, too, because it's like you criticize. I, honestly, I've seen a lot of that from Owen Benjamin fans over the last mm. two weeks, too. It's like he, he, he did that debate and it's like he, in, in my opinion, embarrassed himself and then continued to embarrass himself afterwards. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of the like. I love, I love Owen. I've got love for Owen, but like, I just, when somebody's wrong, they're fucking wrong. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Be learning when you're wrong is one of the hardest, but simultaneously best and most constructive things that can happen to you. Yeah. And I think that when you are logically laying out a reason why somebody is wrong and they're la 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 la, you know, yeah. fuck you. Yeah. Fuck you. I agree with that. I think that's what George was doing. Yeah. You know? So I, I'm coming around more to I didn't I didn't Im imagine that George's reluctance to engage in uh, Andrew's line of questioning was disrespectful or rude. But when you but when you say it the way you say it, I'm starting to see why that might have pissed Andrew off. Yeah. I, I, so that debate is interesting because he, I do think that he was subverting the debate and he was. um and he was doing it in a way that like somebody like you is going to watch it and be like, man, Andrew's being really mean, even though this fucking idiot is not participating at all. 
Um, now, a lot of debates on you're not going to like because a lot of them are very contentious. Like I watched a, a panel debate last night about um, the like the the topic was women should raise families instead of concentrating on careers. Uh, and they had, you know, like three right wing people, three left wing people. And it just like quickly degenerated into like people yeah. talking shit. Yeah. Um, a, a lot of those panel debates can get kind of chaotic. They can, yes. You have to have like a really good moderator. And yes. that guy, I actually like the mo moderator, Rob Nor, but that was just like a particularly contentious one. Um, but I, I do have one more thing I want to ask you about this. Yeah. So tomorrow, Andrew is doing another super show. Okay. Uh, if I like messaged him and was like, Hey, you know, since you featured us last week, if we'd be willing to come on, would you be interested in that? Would you be interested in doing that tomorrow? Tomorrow. I mean, I, I wouldn't say no. It's a lot. You got a, a wide window, you know, three 30 to, to potentially midnight. Yeah. So. I mean, I would just need to know what, what we were talking about. Like what I need, well, to, I, 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 need I mean, it can't just be like the, the criticisms that you had of Andrew. Oh and, yeah. I suppose we could. <clears throat> yeah, I, mean, yeah, I figure he's got like nine hours. He might need something to fill that up. Yeah, I'm not against it, man. I, I probably would have to. I mean, I would like to uh, listen back to our conversation yeah, yeah. and, and his, and now, his but, critique. So, yeah. but hey, I know we're at time. We're like four minutes over, but I want to ask you one other thing. I I just want to get your take on it because I thought it was kind of interesting. Um, one of the Weinstein's was on Rogan oh, yeah. recently. I can't. I can never remember which his one is which. Eric. Did you listen to it? Uh, I've, I've seen clips of it. Okay. Okay. So I listened to this Eric Weinstein episode and he's a smart guy and it's, it's interesting, but he's also like, he's, he can be a little hard to follow at times. Um, he's, and he's also very smart and you're not sure whether he's hard to follow because he's jumping around or because he's so smart. He's talk I don't know, but he talked about a bunch of things, including UFOs. But one of the things he said, I, it struck me as interesting. It struck me as something that you might appreciate. Because I'll tell you, I'll, I'll, let me just tell you. He said, there's been no progress in physics since the 50s. That was the first thing he said. And you might wonder about that because technology and everything, you know, seems to be a lot better. So what does he mean that physics hasn't progressed? He just means that once they got to the point in the models they have with quantum mechanics and, uh, and uh, Einsteinian gravity, that we've, we've made no further progress. We've found ways to apply all that stuff. And, you know, he said, basically, if you take screens out of the picture, how has our lives changed since the 70s? If you take screens out of the picture, we live exactly the same lives we did in the 70s. But if you take the same time time period, you know, backwards from the 70s, how different, how different. So basically what he's saying is that when we come up with breakthroughs in physics, it allows us to apply that knowledge in ways that change our lives significantly. And if we don't, if we're stuck from the 50s without progress, we, we don't realize you know, like what we're missing out on, what possibilities could have been made real by now. And his frustration is why, why have we not made progress? So he says that, um, he basically says that, you know, like academics, uh, they get locked into a certain paradigm. And then if you try to go out of the paradigm, like Graham Hancock, you get completely ridiculed and, and, you know, not taken seriously. So that's what people are doing. He, he calls them good scientists. Yeah. So good scientists sit around rehashing all the old shit that doesn't get us any, anywhere because you're not allowed to go outside of the good scientist territory. You ready to go to conspiracy land? Before I do, I want to get to the point that I think you might like. Okay. Weinstein said, physicists used to be cowboys. Okay. And I was like, 
Yes. Einstein, Alva, Einstein was a weird looking cowboy. Well, was, th think about like Nikola Tesla, for instance. Think, think about uh, like Francis Crick. Think about like M Marie Curie. That, that bitch, that bitch died. That's very uh, disrespectful. That, <laughs> that bitch died of radiation poisoning. I th I, I've heard that her skin was hanging off of her fingers. I don't know if that's true, but she was doing like, these people were doing like science in their garage. This is, this, you know, this is like St Steve Jobs level, level science. Like, uh, what, what is that word that, uh, clandestine, right? It's like clandestine science and they could get away with it because they weren't regulated and they could do whatever they wanted. But the thing is interesting things were happening. And the reason I thought you might like that idea is because you have a, you have a, um, love for people like, um, fear and loathing. What's his name? Hunter S. Thompson. Hunter S. Thompson. Those kind of people, you know, you, yeah, yeah. they're like heroes for, for you. You know, those, those sort of people. And, um, He's basically saying that's what we need now. We need cowboy physicists so that, now. That kind of fits into a thought that I just had. So I'll yeah. say uh, the conspiracy world thought. Yeah. Um, so you've got your materialist scientists. You know, the everything is just matter. Uh, if you think anything other than that, you're crazy. Um, and then you have the people who are kind of on the fringe. And what do they all have in common? Some kind of element of spirituality. Some kind of... Um, there's more to this than just atoms and quarks and gluons and shit. Yep. Um, and my conspiracy thought is what if the reason they're constantly squashing that stuff is because if we make that next physics uh, innovation, that discovery, it proves the metaphysical. Wouldn't that be awesome? Uh, I wonder, you know, That's like maybe they already know, maybe they already know. And they're like, if, if people start getting too close to a, an experiment, they're like, nope. Not nope that that's canceled. It's a fucked up conspiracy theory, but you can imagine if you put yourself in the shoes of somebody in power, you know, that if you have to now share your authority with a higher reality, you lost your authority. Mm. If you now have to, if you don't have to prove your moral 100%. compass against the uh, against the uh, metric of some divine moral compass, you know. And I, I think that that lines up nicely with like the cowboy element that you were talking about. You want to talk about cowboys, talk about Russian Orthodox Christians in the Bolshevik era. That was some cowboy shit, man. Yeah. That's, that's brave. You know, that's like, uh, Jason talked about this on the podcast the other day, being put on your knees in front of a letter that you have to sign that says you're going to operate within, you know, the Bolshevik terms and saying, glory be to God. And they pull the trigger and you're done. Uh, and then the people who don't die, continuing to practice their faith underground you know that's cowboy shit that is cowboy shit um and it, it like that that spiritual element that's seems to me a lot of the time what they're trying to to squash that's interesting i guess we can end with uh yippee kaye motherfucker yeah we can also end with um i guess this is going to be in the live tab now it's not going to be in the videos um, I also created some playlists. So, uh, you know, if you if you guys are looking for the main show, this one, that's got a playlist. If you're looking for Chris's solo episodes, that's got a playlist. Solo episodes come up. Um, but there'll be more. So Kyle's solo shit is one of the topics I had. We'll save that for later, but I am excited about that. I got uh, another Kyle's spiritual reconstruction. Fuck yeah. Out. Yeah, man. Fuck yeah. And it's all it's it's always tied in with that guy, Rhett McLaughlin from Good Mythical Morning. Oh, I can't they, wait. They do it every year. They do, um, you know, an addendum to it. So really, listen, know. I want to shout this out for the audience. 
Kyle did, uh, what was it called? Kyle's Spiritual Reconstruction? Yep. So he did an episode in season one, and it was just by himself, and it was terrific. So I'd encourage you guys to check that out. Is that still on? You know, they fall off eventually. It's not on YouTube, but it should still yeah, be. Exactly. It should still be on Spotify because I got to figure out how to how to convert that stuff over. Yeah, we'll figure it out. Uh, if converting, I, I'm a tech tart man. I don't. I don't know anything. Yeah, if anybody wants to help, uh, help, help us figure that out. Uh, email us at uh, what is it? At, uh, to the Two Tongues Podcast at gmail.com. So one one thing. Oh, I'm sorry. Go, go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead. Now, one thing that would be cool is if we could find somebody who is willing to help us with this. See this thing here, team. Yeah. You can have people like setting all this stuff up for you. Um, yeah. Like the guest is obviously for someone you're talking to. Yep. But it'd just be cool if we could it find would be someone cool. to do that. It would be cool if Kevin would do that. <laughs> yeah, man. All right. Uh, the producer. <laughs> all right. So uh, I'm at Two Tongues Pod at, yeah, at it's uh, not, Twitter. He's not Kyle. He's not Kyle. Is fat, fat Chad. Big, that. big old easy. Fat Chad on. over here. Yeah. Okay. Whoa. Well, there we are. All right. I guess that's enough for the live stream. Yep. Peace and I'm out. Adios.